Yo, what's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode 15 of the Peon Podcast. Today on the show, we got Eric Anderson, who is going to give us a perspective on the service industry we haven't had yet. It's a perspective I don't know too much about, except from my friend Alexandria, which is, uh, he was a barista. He's had a long career in coffee from Starbucks to fucking crazy ass latte competitions. I'll let him explain that. I'll let him get into that. But I'll say first, I'm sure you've noticed that the episodes have been a little inconsistent. My goal is to do one one a week, but I'm having trouble even getting two a month up. And that the reason for that is that I just can't find guests. You know, I just send message, messages out on Instagram and um, lately, I don't know, man, people are fucking busy or something because I'm not getting shit. I'm not getting a single fucking response. So that on top of just living a busy life, I have not had any guests. So for the time being, it's going to have to be a little consistent. I'd rather put out some shit that I like, that I enjoy. I'd rather talk to people that I enjoy to talk to. And I'd rather put out something that I feel is really good as opposed to just be be uh, consistent for now. Anyway, you know, we'll get to the point where we can be consistent Shit, if there's any fucking podcast producers out there that want to fucking give it a try, hit me up. Seriously, I could use some help finding some people, especially if you're in the service industry. I need to know. I need that. I need help. Uh, this is a longer episode, but I'm still just gonna. I'm just gonna talk because I had some shit to say. I've had a pretty good couple weeks. I got the chance to hang out with Andy Dubrava and Tiff Ortiz. They invited me to the the little dinner they did at. Uh, the made in studio in Austin. That was a fucking fantastic time. I got the privilege of working with them. Got to see how they work. And they sat me down after helping them with some prep items. And uh, I had an amazing dinner. Seriously, there are some dishes that I'm, I will never forget. There was an Anduya sandwich that was like the fucking dirtiest peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's not even, there's no peanut butter. It was a jelly, but it's just the dirtiest fucking amazing sandwich I've ever had. I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. And then this granita was like a hop water granita. Oh my God, dude. It was, it was insane. Seriously. I still think about it. I dream about that thing. I just think about it. I think about the texture. I think about the sumac. I think about the pine, the pine needles. It was fucking amazing. It was great seeing them, finally meeting them in person. They're some of the nicest people they deserve every good thing that they that they can they can get that people give them seriously they're the nicest people and uh i haven't felt this since dk who's a person I, that i talked about on my podcast person i knew pretty well when you went to his sushi restaurants in austin and he knew you even if you didn't know him like he just made you feel so at home he was the best host it wasn't just going into a restaurant. It was like you were going into his home and he was making you feel at home in his restaurant. And that's really the way that I think Tiff and Andy kind of gravitate around their the whatever the space they're in. They were in the maiden studio and it felt like they it was they'd been in that kitchen for forever, even though there were some hiccups and things, which is a natural because it's it's a crazy pop-up dinner. It's coming out of nowhere. But man, it was 
it, it just seeing them work and see how they gravitate towards people and how they handle people. It was just like, man, these people are born to do this whenever they have their own restaurant, whenever they open up their own restaurant, it's going to be so fucking good. Not just because of the food. It's going to be amazing because those people are running it and they're, they genuinely like care about the people they're feeding. And yeah, it's just such a natural ability. You can tell it comes from them naturally. It's not something that, that they're trying to feign or that they're trying to do. It just fucking, they just exude hospitality. It's, it's a very natural, it's, it's a talent that people don't talk about much. So I wanted to mention it. I really just felt so cared for and I felt that other people were also cared for. It felt very nice. And then I went to their dinner uh, at Emmer and Rye, which is a local restaurant here who does a taste, they do a tasting menu and they do a bunch of fermentation. So pretty famous in Austin. And uh, that dinner was incredible too. I went with some uh, friends from uh, the restaurant that I was working at, Barley Swine, shout out Barley Swine. And it was amazing too. Uh, Andy did his famous pork chop and it was fucking incredible. Just fucking trout row and tarragon. It was fucking out of this, out of this fucking world. And um, I think we had three, there was like, a, um, there was a butter dish. Sorry, there was a bread and butter dish with with some of the jelly from the Enduya sandwich that we had at the Maiden Studios. And then there was a carrot dish. I don't know what was in the fucking carrot dish. I have no idea. It's literally a puree and a fucking carrot that was like roasted or smoked. Roasted or smoked like the fucking most perfect. It was like the chew on it was fucking just, oh, just fucking nailed. It was so good. I think we had two or three of each of those. We were just so focused on those fucking things so much that we didn't even get the pasta dish. We were talking about it the whole time we were driving there. We were like, we got to get the pasta dish. We know they're doing a pasta dish. They got to get the pasta. And then we got so focused on those things that by the time we asked our server for the pasta dish, she goes, we don't have any more pasta. Uh, which I'm a little bit sad about, but kind of not because I had the... I had an element of the crawfish pasta dish at the Maiden Studios, so I got it, got to experience a little bit of that. Man, though, I'm gonna remember those dinners for a long time, and those were some great dinners. The wines were incredible, the food was incredible. Yeah, just I wanted to shout that out and talk about my experience there because it was really, really great. You know, get that shit on the books. Ah, <sighs> man. Anyway, um, there's some other stuff I wanted to talk about before. We get into uh, Eric Anderson's story. Um, you know, he talks a little bit about his story is great for three reasons. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what why I need to tell you why it's great. Eric is just a natural born storyteller. I mean, he takes over this episode in a great way. He just tells a story, and I and I love that. I like just people just taking just taking taking away, take it away. It's great. And then he when he talks about the coffee throwdowns it's like it's like a will ferrell i think we talk about it in this episode but it's like it's like if coffee throwdown were like the setting for like a beer fest style like comedy movie it's insane how seriously these people take this shit it's so funny like if somebody wants to do that just take it and run with it do it write that comedy and uh and then the other thing that i want to address which is more in my lane is that is around Alenia, you know, this is very, I think this shit is really important to get out there. I'm not trying to be an advocate for anything. I'm not. I just want to hear people talk and I want to hear their stories. But dude, this shit at Alenia was fucking toxic as fuck. 
It's so fucking toxic. And uh, it's like, this shit has to stop. Why is, why is this still going on? And the other thing that I thought about while I was editing this episode is that people support this kind of thing, whether or not they know it. Like if you're watching tasting table or whatever the fucking fuck it is, that little jizz fest of slow motion salt on food shit on Netflix, if you're watching that shit, you're supporting the garbage that he's putting out. All right. I have no problem shit talking Grant Atkins. Grant Atkins can go fuck himself because the level of toxicity you have to get to, to get to three Michelin stars is fucking bullshit. That should not be supported. I'm, I, I fucking think it's disgusting that Michelin supports that kind of behavior. I think it's disgusting that any sort of show supports that type of behavior. And I think it's disgusting that any sort of chef or creative person who wants to be in the food industry and have a restaurant should be subjected to or influenced by that kind of trash. So I want to just fucking say that right now. I think it's garbage. I think it's garbage that they treat people like that. I've lived under tyrannical chefs. I've lived in fear and it's, it's horrible. It feels horrible. I'm in, I'm, I, I just want to say that, uh, it feels awful and it doesn't make a better chef. It doesn't make, that's not how you get three stars. That's just fucking garbage. It's horrible behavior. It's inexcusable behavior. And I hope it's not happening anymore. I don't know anything that's happening in Alinea right now. Neither does Eric. This is his experience. If it's still happening, that shit is fucking, that shit needs to stop. <laughs> you know, it's just fucking food. Just calm the fuck down. All right. Treat people nicely. We can all relax a little bit. We can all relax. You know, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to fill balloons with fucking candy air. You can just have a calm kitchen and support everybody and be nice. You don't have to work 12 hour days. I don't know. Grant, get in touch. We'll talk about it. <laughs> That's so stupid. Oh, uh, man. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want this episode to seem political because we do get into a little bit of the pandemic. So don't feel fired up politically in one way or another. I don't want to get political. I don't want to seem like I'm on one side or the other, but I mean, I obviously am. Everybody is, but I don't want it to be that way. So don't feel fired up or angry that I'm on one side or Eric's on one side. It's just, it. the fact is that COVID kind of inextricably linked politics and restaurants it, and the service industry. It just did. Like now, anytime we talk about COVID or the shit we had to go through during COVID or COVID procedures or how we feel about COVID procedures or how we feel about COVID safety, any of that shit, it all just, it makes it political because COVID's political. That's what it, that's what we've made it. That's what made it in, in America. It's, it's a political issue. And so that's just what it is. So don't take it, don't take it to heart. Just listen to what he has to say and just let it breeze over. Okay. I'm not trying to get political. I don't want to get political. Anyway, so I just want to get that out of the way. And then on top of that, I was going to say, talk about that. Like I actually had an experience with what he talks about later in this episode, which is the 86 list. I don't think it was called that in Austin. I think it had a different name. It got shut down pretty quickly, but I was working at a restaurant called Fukumoto, which is a very, it's a, it's a nice restaurant. Like, I know the chef. Kazu is an amazing person. He's 
just the sweetest, nicest person means no harm. Just trying to run the best, the restaurant he, he does at the, the best he can. And we were featured on like one of the first, like three or four posts on this thing. And we were all just blown away. And one person had actually it was two posts. Now that I'm remembering it. Yeah. One person had said that a server had taught another server the way that you taste the food here is when somebody somebody doesn't eat their food on their plates and then you just eat that food. And we had told this person multiple fucking times, do not eat food off people's plates. It doesn't matter if they have touched it one fucking time and you take it to the kitchen. Do not eat off their fucking plate. That's disgusting. It's gross. And then you don't fucking wash your hands and you go fucking serve people. It's terrible. But none of that shit is portrayed in the post. And then on top of that, the real point that I wanted to make is that that sort of stuff, the reason I think it got shut down and the reason it didn't gain traction was because that kind of shit sidetracked the real cause, which was to showcase the true toxic behavior, the shit that was happening in Alinea, that was happening at other places, that was happening all over the fucking service industry that really needed addressing. Uh, Inequality, making a safer work environment, that kind of thing was really a priority, but it just got so so sidetracked by that, those shitty, I mean, they, I don't know if they were shitty. They were just maybe poorly organized or just, they were just something that happened and it just was a flash in the pan. I don't know. But I just wanted to share my experience with that because I thought it was a it was a funny story that sort of tied into all of this. Luckily, that didn't hurt Kazu's business, but it felt like it did at the time. You know, it felt like we just got our asses handed to us by COVID and COVID safety procedures. So that's hard enough. And then we just got this fucking gut punch where it's like. Oh damn, no one's going to come eat here because they think all the servers are eating their food off their fucking dirty plates. And they think we're a bunch of assholes and we treat our, you know, our servers badly. It was, yeah, it was, um, and you don't have any, there's no say, you do, you can't fight back because it's not like, not like they're going to read it, you know? I don't know, man. It was a weird, it was a weird time. It's, um, it's wild to look back on. It's a really wild time to look back on, but yeah, I'm going to, I ended on that that wild that uh that depressing note and we're going to get right into this episode. It's a long one. I just did a long intro, but you know what fuck it it's been a it's been a few weeks. Who knows when the fuck I'm going to have another episode out. So I'll put a a long one out here to tide you guys over. Okay, I really hope you enjoy this one. As usual, go check out, you know, all the shit peonmagazine.com, uh the Patreon peonmagazine.com/support beyondmagazine.com slash store if you want to buy some shit i got beanies i got shirts i got you know hoodies i got all that shit yeah go check it out browse thanks for all the support thanks for all the listens really appreciate it and um enjoy this episode later yeah man uh how's it going thanks for thanks for hanging out thanks for doing this man appreciate oh, of it of course of course i'm happy to sorry there was a little back and forth um it's it's fine man no worries cool yeah. no it's going good That's... though um i found i'm in the office of my i guess we'll talk about this at some point i'm not actually in yeah. i don't know how much swing told you i'm not actually currently in the like food service industry anymore but i'm in a dispensary okay. it's very adjacent 
um, <laughs> which funny it's, enough, Swing actually got me my job here uh, before I was he gonna, moved to California. So <laughs> I was going to ask you, how did you meet Michael? Mike and I were working in the same building, so we never worked like directly together. But when he was the uh, not sous chef, I think he was just a head chef down in a place called High Five Ramen. It was like this little, uh, okay, really small little ramen spot in the West Loop neighborhood in Chicago. Um, okay, part of a really big restaurant group, but they had a a huge space above it. So this was ramen was the basement and the space above it was this huge warehouse called green street smoked meats. And it's like a big barbecue place. And I was a bartender there okay. for like a number of years. Oh, so like we crossed paths there and kind of became homies just because, um, yeah. similar interests like musically and all that. We had a lot of similar friends. Um, yeah, yeah we like bumped into each other, some shows. We mostly just chilled, like having drinks and shit like that. But he kind of yeah. became like a firm industry friend for me. And uh, nice. yeah. I'm sure we'll discuss this all at some point too. But man, when COVID was just like decimating the restaurant scene, I was just yeah. like floundering and he kind of like reached in and was like, yo, <laughs> oh, <that's nice. laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of like reached yeah. out to me. I hadn't heard from him in a minute, but he was like, Hey man, I'm going to be leaving this dispensary. I actually think you'd be a really cool fit. He's like, I think you would actually really enjoy it a lot more than what you're kind of going through. So, uh, yeah, like two Damn. interviews later and his recommendation, they brought me on board and that was like a year and a half ago. So, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. He was telling me, he was telling me there's like crazy, like the way that restaurants in Chicago work is like, there's like restaurants on top of restaurants on top of like, <laughs> like so much shit on top of me. Like it's so crazy. Things. It's, yeah. yeah. So and it's like, all old. It's been around for fucking hundreds of years. Dude, dude flooding pipes like every weekend. Specifically, actually, sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> Specifically where he worked down in ramen, <laughs> since it was like the basement of this building, there was times yeah. like we would literally have to shut the doors and all of us, it was like all hands on deck would be down there just like buckets of like water <laughs> trying to just clear what? it out. Just it try to just, clear the water out? Yeah, because it would yeah. rain. It wouldn't even like take much, dude. It would like drizzle and it would suddenly <laughs> be like first, it was so, it was so gnarly. It would first be a little bit like, do you guys smell something? We clear the place out. Oh, Next God. thing you know, it's like inches of water on the ground, dude. Where it's like pants Holy rolled shit. up, Crocs on the ground, <laughs> scooping out water. It was terrible. But yeah, oh he's, he is right. They just stack it's like i don't know if it's specific to shot like chicago specific i don't know what it is but yeah it just seems like when restaurateurs or restaurant groups buy these buildings they're like how can we maximize this space um <laughs> yeah it's crazy the, the group i worked for where i met him it's called Hogstall hospitality and they're like every one of their spaces i worked in was always attached to at least one to two other restaurants also just okay. the way they yeah, like just to run things and generate money that maximizing. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Damn, damn. All right, well, let's, uh, I guess let's go to the beginning. Do you remember what your first uh, food service job was? Yeah, I do actually. Um, so I've only ever, up until the, my time here at the dispensary, I've only ever worked in the food industry. Um, I'm oh, 30, okay. yeah, I'm 34 now. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, I got my first job when I was 16 at a little cafe in my hometown. Um, yeah. Where, which where's is, that? Frankfurt square. It's like South suburbs of Chicago. It's like 45 minutes South. Okay. Um, so you're from Chicago, Chicago land area. Yeah. Chicago. I've been in the city proper yeah. for maybe like eight years now, something like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, before that, again, if I remember correctly, I was going to get lunch. My dad was driving us there and we walked into this little spot and he was like, Oh, this place, it was called Cafe Milan. He's like, this is Cafe Milan. Like we're going to grab lunch. I know the owner's here. And he introduced me to the owner. Uh, yeah. 
it was a couple and he literally like on the spot, he's like, this is Mary. And actually we've set up a job for you here. And I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so your dad just like oh, set yeah. you up. He did. Like I'm almost like even... a blind day. He like oh. blindsided you with uh, dude, with honestly a little bit. My chair just said, <laughs> yeah, honestly a little bit, dude. I was like, Oh cool. I get to grab lunch. And he's like, this is Mary. I was like, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. She's, and he's like, yeah, so we're going to have you get you a job here. And I'm not playing. And she handed me a phone and she was like, I need you to take this order. I'd never worked a day in my life. I, yeah, I was like, Jesus all Christ. right. She's right like, there. yeah, just whatever they tell you, just write it down. It's easy. And that was like my first <laughs> fucking first day of work. Um, so <laughs> yeah, hilarious. that was, yeah, it was kind of crazy. It was, a, it was a fun little first job, like classic mom and pop paid under the table type shit. Okay. Just like making yeah. sandwiches. Uh, we had dinner service for a minute, which was pretty short lived just cause it was like slow. You know, it was like a very small town yeah. little shop, but, um, okay. Yeah. And then that was actually my first introduction to like coffee shit too. Uh, they had like a full nice espresso machine there. And part of the job was learning how to like pull shots and like make lattes and stuff. So uh, you were learning how to make espresso at 16. That's yeah, pretty badass. Dude, I, I was pretty honestly. Good skill to learn. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was crazy. I learned, I did. I mean, obviously first time doing it, but there's stuff up until this day that I still think back to that job, like little funny little lessons learned of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, no, it was good. It really set me up for like kind of going down that road and like equipped me enough to once I was feeling like I wasn't really, I got to, I think I worked there for a couple of years. I was like 18, you know, it's like you're ready to get, make a little more money and get out there more. So yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. What the, uh, Sorry, go ahead. What were the owners like? <laughs> oh man, they were cool. So actually interesting couple for sure. Uh, uh, Mary and Dominic were their names. They lived above the cafe space. Um, which I always thought was cool. Yeah. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like, fuck, what a nightmare that must be. <laughs> like if anything's going <laughs> on, they're like yeah. literally call upstairs. Uh, they were super cool though, man. They were very nice. They were very Midwestern like mm-hmm. restaurant owners. I mean, they were like, they worked hard. They drank a lot. They smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> I smoked a lot of cigarettes. Okay. It was just crazy. It was just that kind of like yeah. tight little, um, you know, the staff was very small. And yeah, they were cool. They were always pretty stressed out. But, you know, again, running your own little place like that, I can imagine they were always kind of feeling it. He in particular, I had some, I remember having some funny conversations with about like punk music and stuff. That was like right when I was getting into all that scene. And he had like a little CD player he kept in back with like all sorts of stuff. But there was like one little pile of like the Clash, the Sex Pistols, like that kind of stuff. And it was like later night stuff he put on when we were mopping and shit. So bonded with him over that a little bit. But yeah. He was a pretty classic, like punk guy, like a crusty old musician kind of guy. Honestly, you would think so, but no, not really, dude. Like I thought I'm like, this, like I thought it was crazy because he really was just sort of like looked like anyone's dad type of guy. Like if he hears this, <laughs> I don't mean any offense by that, but it's just like literally seemed like any old dude. But yeah. then he was like, see, he'd see me wearing like a band T-shirt or something. He's like, oh, cool, man, you like that stuff? I got, so I think I have some punk stuff back here. Actually, oh, that's and awesome. he would like, you know, regale me with some of his old stories, but. uh yeah, it was cool. They were they were they were a very nice couple. Actually, now I'm thinking of it. I my dad knew them, knew him specifically before they had established like their relationship with my dad going there. Mm-hmm. He had met Dominic, the owner, elsewhere. I forget how, but he had actually done a day at uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the restaurant from Chicago, no longer around. I don't think it's called Charlie Trotter's. They may be open still, but Charlie Trotter was the name of the restaurant tour. No. He's like a big name in the Chicago industry with like Okay. Kind of like a Grand Ackett's type, if you will, from like a linea. Like he was okay. kind of up there with like the fine dining scene. But anyways, yeah, my okay. dad went with this guy, Dominic, and did like a um, like a shadow shift there, essentially. Not for a real job, but he was just like into cooking. And they were like, oh, we know okay. this restaurant. Like they have a little program if you just want to come and experience the kitchen. 
So yeah. my dad did that and that was the connection to like the food part of it. And then he brought me in and the rest is history, I guess. My dad's always been a bit of a food guy. So I always felt like I kind of got my trajectory in that industry from, from, from him that. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was he, was he a cook or like in the industry at all? Or was he just kind of, kind of interested in it? Just interested. I'm sure early on as a younger man, he was, um, he actually was a pastor for like 30 years. <laughs> I was a oh, pastor's damn. Okay. kid for, he's not anymore. Oh, he's since left that industry. He's like a manual laborer, painter now, but yeah, man, I grew yeah. up in the church and all that shit. Oh shit. Um, man. yeah, crazy. That's like all yeah. sorts of stories related to that shit too. But, <laughs> but yeah, he was always, uh, I think he had worked some jobs in the restaurant industry as a younger person. And then later in life, he sort of revisited it and took kind of as like a hobbyist got into cooking and like loves Anthony That's Bourdain cool. and you know, that whole oh, kind no. of, he's he's about the more modern restaurant like direction and like the less toxic mm-hmm. stuff but he's also kind of like you know he remembers the old days of like the hot kitchen type shit yeah. and you know he's got a yeah, little yeah. bit of romanticism attached to all that still i think but of course yeah but yeah i feel always yeah. felt like thankful for like all right he kind of passed that gene down to me and set my path a little nice. bit so you know yeah that, it's all good that's great <laughs> that's cool do you remember where you went next like did yeah. you did you have a clear like job in mind or were you, did you just kind of float around well, I, I wouldn't say float around just yet. So when I got to, I was like 18, I'd been working at this place a couple of years and I frankly just needed like more money. I was like, I want to go out. I want to get a car, a new car. I was just like, this isn't yeah. cutting it anymore. So I made the yeah. classic move over to Starbucks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which All right. for what it's worth, we're talking like earlier 2000s pre Starbucks being yeah. like behemoth drive through shit. I'm not trying to make myself sound cooler. It was still Starbucks, but <laughs> I at least remember it being more of a time when it was kind of like a cooler job to have. It was still like being a barista. Like, I don't know. It wasn't yeah. as, uh, didn't feel quite as fast foodified as it does now, but yeah, man, yeah. I did six and a half years at Starbucks in the suburbs. Um, same shit. shop. Yeah. It was crazy, dude. And it was God like, damn. For the most part, it was good. The money was always good. Like when people talk about Starbucks taking care of their workers, I mean, not as much recently, it seems, but at least yeah. at the time, like I knew people who were there for like 10, 15 years on their insurance, retiring. I had like stock options when I first started there. Like that's how Jesus. like that's how different it was then. Yeah, like all free stock in the company just for, for working. Uh-huh. Whole different world. Holy shit. But yeah, I was just at that point, like graduated high school, was working there and I wanted to get into writing. That's what I kind of, by that point in my life, I wanted to do journalism, music, or any kind of journalism, really. So I went to community college while I was working at Starbucks. And honestly, like at some point along the road, I saw the kind of money people higher up in Starbucks were making without any school Uh debt. And then I knew a lot of people who had a shit ton of school debt who were also making the same amount of money. So I was at that point like should I just not do school? Like, can I just do this instead? So like <laughs> I wrapped up my associates and I was like, I'm just going to be in the industry now. So that kind of, at that point in my life, early twenties felt like I had made a conscientious decision of like, all right, I'm going to be a service industry guy. <laughs> I'm going to skip school. Yeah, but- <laughs> I'm going to skip traditional education route, save my money, which came back to bite me in the ass many times later yeah, on. But- I was going to say, I was going to say like, yeah, yeah, I mean, unless you're going for that high, that those like, higher end jobs, which kind of could be a crapshoot sometimes. Course, You're really dude. not making much money. Totally. And at the time I was much younger and I was like, again, just sort of seeing like, well, this guy's like two years older than me. He's like a regional manager making a salary. And I'm like an hourly sort of grunt barista here. Like maybe I can do that. 
So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I just stuck it through. I still to this day think that that is the job that equipped me most as like a person in this world, yeah. dude, like even beyond what jobs, do you mean? What do you mean? When you, I think when you learn how to deal with customers for that long oh, like- in that setting, like, and what people can bring to you, it, like nothing, I feel like at least not much could phase me in the service industry yeah. realm at this point, dude. I, yeah. from people just being like kind of weird to like complaining to being just nasty, like across the board, like anything someone yeah. would deal with in a restaurant. Yeah. I just feel like I learned a lot of those lessons there, like kind of earlier on. One of my all time favorite stories, dude, this guy came in one time. Well, sorry, it was a couple. They came in together and they had some kids with them and they were checking mm-hmm. out and there was like some items at the register, like impulse buys, they call them, where it's just like a little candy or a yeah, drink. Yeah, like candy bar or Yeah, some yeah shit. like a yeah. last minute thing. Yeah, You're like, sure. oh yeah, three bucks, I'll grab that. But we had these like packaged uh, cookies, but they were called, they were labeled as like vanilla biscuits. You know what I mean? It was just like, you, <laughs> yeah. we've all seen those before, whatever. So this couple yeah. is checking out, dude. This is, <laughs> I still think about this story, but this couple's checking out and they're just about done. I'm like, do you guys need anything else? And she picked up the bag of vanilla biscuits and she goes, I just wanted to ask, are these for humans? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, like yeah. as opposed to what or whatever. And her husband yeah. was like, oh my God. And she turned red. She immediately realized how silly it was. She was like, they're just biscuits. I thought maybe they were like for pets, like dog a dog biscuits, treat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. You're good. But like, you name it, dude. I mean, honestly, people, even beyond funny stories, people at a Starbucks. It's, I mean, I can't compare it to anything else. Like you think people open up yeah. to bartenders. I mean, it's remarkable. What? The stuff really? people that, will share with you in a uh, three minute transaction first thing in the morning <laughs> from like, oh man, like therapy to family issues. Like it's just, Jesus. The, yeah, the yeah. wall just comes down and they just tell you shit. So, <laughs> so it definitely equipped me like later on um, for all of that. But I mean, I like, I was pretty happy there, honestly. And then I decided after some time had passed. I was ready to make another move up. Uh, and I kind of told them like, Hey, I, I was like in management at that point, but I was like, I really want to move up into like a corporate setting with this shit. I've been here doing this forever. And yeah. they were like, that's cool. Before you do that though, we want to put you in a higher, higher volume store just to make sure you're like, you know, good with the true setting yeah. of kind of what a Starbucks is. So they sent me over to a drive through Starbucks, like a mega Starbucks three, you know, not even like three minutes up the road, like one town over three, five minutes up the road. I made it three yeah. months and quit. I missed, Why? Because it was just so dude, fucking crazy? It sucked, man. I had a moment. I was, <laughs> I'll never forget. I was 25 and I was unpacking boxes of cups and I had a headset on and a Starbucks baseball hat. And I was just like putting shit away. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I literally just stopped and I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not right. I was like, I'm 25 and this is where I'm at. Like, not supposed to be happening for oh me. Oh my God. Those moments are horrible. <sighs> Dude, it really. All were, comes into focus. Uh, and you're like, yeah. holy shit, what the fuck am I doing? And it felt so random. It wasn't like anything had happened. I wasn't mad at anyone. It just really, I was like, oh my God, yeah. dude. Like, I'm 25 doing this shit. There's so much more out there that I need to be doing. Um, <laughs> is that pretty early on? Uh, that or was, was that like three months in? That was like right at the end of it, dude. That was like me oh, yeah. testing the waters and being there for that length and stopping and being like, dude, 
I've one ear, I've got a customer placing an order, another ear, other baristas complaining about some bullshit. And I'm just unpacking cup boxes of cups. And I'm like, dude, this Ooh. is not the life I want anymore. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, um, that was like close to when I moved to Chicago, like the city proper. So I had also kind of been getting into like specialty coffee a little bit more on my own. Okay. Just a quick aside. I had my older brother did is a designer and he had around the time done some work for a coffee company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we went out there to see like the design, the shops and everything. And they were doing like latte art, third wave coffee, like sort of like the nicer realm of mm-hmm. coffee shops you go into like brewing specialty coffee from different regions and shit what was the name of it because I, I lived in michigan for a bit uh madcap coffee roasters madcap okay if you're yeah. familiar they have like a little lightning I, I am, bolt yeah. on the bag my brother yeah. designed yeah, all yeah. that shit so the bags he designed oh, cool. on top to bottom he and his design nice. partner yeah 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 so he was like hey you know you're like i was working at starbucks he's like i know you're kind of feeling whatever but like i'm doing this work you want to come see this coffee shop and it just fucking dude i felt excited and ashamed in equal measure at like the exact same time. I was like, this is what I want. But when everyone was like, Oh, cool. What do you do, man? I was like, Starbucks, but I'm looking to leave, you know, like, I was just like, Oh my God, dude, these yeah. guys like hosting coffee. There's they're dressed in however they want to dress. They're cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like kind of cooler, yeah, of course, older yeah. kids vibe. And I was like, dude, I have to get out of what I'm doing. So that really cemented it for me. And honestly, I put in my two weeks at Starbucks with no plan and just started looking in Chicago to see like what coffee shops are around, what even is out there for me. Was was this at the time like when coffee was just starting to kick off? Because Chicago was huge in, in terms of like coffee shops roasting their own shit and like yeah. making their own coffee and, and starting their own coffee shops and stuff like that. Was that around the same time or was this before that? That was... From my point of view, that I would I hopped into it like right after I think the initial burst of like, whoa, look at this new coffee we're doing. Yeah. There were there was yeah. like so I got a job at Intelligentsia Coffee, uh, which is like oh, a yeah. pretty big roaster. Yeah, yeah, like pretty big in, Chicago in name. Chicago, yeah. Um I got a job with them and I was kind of under the impression when I started, I was sort of part of like maybe second wave or like just a slightly new breed of people coming through after like the old guard had kind of moved on. Yeah. There had definitely been some baristas before me who had been there and then moved to like LA and other places to open their own shit. But yeah, it was pretty early on with what is now I think considered the sort of newer wave of coffee and like what's a little more normal now for like going to your neighborhood shop and getting coffee. It was still a yeah. little bit rare or a little more spread out at the time. Like yeah, the Intelligentsia, sure. like Wicker Park, Logan Square, like none of those shops were open yet. It was still, okay. you know, smaller yeah. days uh, with that company. But I got a job at a location that was actually up in the Merchandise Mart. It was called okay. 1871. It was connected to a, a startup incubator. And I think the idea, I know, dude, yeah. it's <laughs> when I go through my job, like my resume <laughs> shit, sometimes I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it feels so weird to think yeah. about doing this now. But I was actually commuting from the suburbs to the merchandise mart, like via train to yeah. open up this little cafe every morning because I just hadn't yes. moved out here yet. Yeah. But uh, it was up on the 12th floor of the merchandise mart. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's like one of the biggest buildings in Chicago. It's like, okay. 
it used to have its own zip code. Like it's just huge. Oh, it's right in the loop, like downtown. But I got a job in there and I just like went for it, dude. I, my whole life, I was just like committed to like learning about coffee, developing my palate. I was yeah. like a super fan, dude. I was like <laughs> showing up early, leaving late, doing like hours yeah. and hours of like latte art training and palate development tastings and all this stuff. It just became my whole world and I loved it. Do you remember exactly why? I think by that point I had really like latched on to coffee and like as a specialty thing, I like started to understand and appreciate the sort of like the science behind it. And like, it sounds so corny to say, but you know, like the craft and like the art that kind of goes into yeah. it also, you know, yeah, like sure. it is. Yeah. I think the same way like a young chef would see, or a young bartender would see their tools and all that and feel like, you know, hungry about it and excited about it. Like I yeah, was kind of yeah. feeling that for coffee. It also helped that honestly, like I was coming from the world of suburban Starbucks and was suddenly in this like cool Chicago yeah. coffee shop surrounded by people who were like dressed well into like cool shit. Like yeah. I remember talking to this one dude who was training me and I was like, so like, what else do you do besides coffee? Like in your free time? And I'm not kidding you, dude. He goes, what else is there? And I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, oh now we're talking, dude. Now we're cooking. And he kind of laughed. He's like. No, I mean, besides coffee, I don't know. Like, I drink whiskey. <laughs> and I was like, I see. I got what's yeah. going on here. Like, this is truly, like, these dudes are, like, into this shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I took a dive into it. I moved out here shortly after. Just, I sold my car because I was like, dude, I can't commute you know, from the burbs to open yeah. a fucking cafe. It's just not practical. Uh, yeah, and that just, like, opened up my whole world, man. Like, that truly felt, to me, like, sort of my college years. Because, like, I never went away to school properly. Yeah. Um, but that for me felt like, man, like I was single. I had my own little place. My older brother already lived in Chicago. So he was kind of helping me navigate, but oh, I was nice. just going to every event, every coffee shop, just like trying to imbibe the culture and get into it as much as I could. Yeah. Um, was Intelligentsia pretty yeah. forthcoming with getting you guys educated and like talking about roasting and stuff? Were they roasting at the time actually? Yeah. Yeah, they were. And, um, Absolutely. Like they're all about their education. They, I don't know what it's like now. Again, it's been so long now since I've been there. But at the time they had a full training staff where the trainers, if you will, were actually called like educators. It's so funny to think yeah. back now, but we literally be like, do we have an educator in the shop today? And they're like, yeah, Marty will be here in 20. Like that was just how they, what they were called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, dude, there was like someone in the shop every day, like working one-on-one -on -one with people, like everything from like coffee brewing methods to palate development, pulling espresso. And on top of that, if you wanted to actively do any of those things in the shop, you had to pass like a series of tests. Jeez. So like, a, yeah, dude, so really like serious. At the time, very serious. Yeah. And again, I'd never experienced anything like this. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing, but nuts, dude. Like if you seriously want to work at the time, working in intelligentsia and brew, just brew like a pour over. Yeah. You were not certified to do that until you had the proper like three month training course where they would Holy have shit. like palate development and like they time your brews and they would you they have a tool i'm not making this shit up dude i couldn't make this up there's a tool called a refractometer okay. and a refractometer measures the amount of light that passes through liquid yeah and they would use this to measure the potency of the coffee after you would brew it and they'd literally be like cool your potency is at like 21 percent on the refractometer we need to get it up to like 26 percent and you had to solve this puzzle. You'd either like make the coffee grind different or you'd change the amount. Like it was a whole thing. Oh, so they wouldn't tell really? you how to fix it. You would just have to figure it out yourself and then come back and test again. 
Well, that was all like the education part. And then you, at the test, they'd be like, cool. So bring this up to like 26%. And if you couldn't do it, they're like, sorry, you didn't pass this time. We'll work a little longer and then we'll do it again next month. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to pass all the tests. Yeah, I know, man. Really crazy. And then if you wanted to like move up as like a manager or something, you had to have all these tests passed first. Yeah. So, cause you know, they want their manager to be able to do it all. And yeah. that was just the way they operated. But yeah, if I remember correctly, there was that's insane. Yeah. There was a <laughs> brewing test for regular coffee. There was a milk test where they would like see how you foam milk and pour latte art. And it was always timed and there'd be people with clipboards watching you and shit. What the fuck? <laughs> I know, man. And they would have like an espresso test. And then I, again, couldn't make this up. There was the tea exam, which was notoriously the most difficult tea because we had like a whole tea section and yeah. you'd have to brew like five pots of tea, the appropriate temperatures, vessels, and do like a little presentation on it. I know. This is insanity. It's insanity. So yeah. again, though, at the time, I'm just like, soak it up it now. Yeah. Give it to me. I'm a sponge. So I was doing all that. And I would, I can't forget to tell you about this one other little thing just at the time. What else was going on in the coffee scene in Chicago that not a lot of people I think know about? Every month, they still do this to this day. Every month, there's a thing called a TNT, a Thursday night throwdown. Okay. And a Thursday night throwdown is every month, a coffee shop in Chicago would host. And you sign up, and it's bracket style. So if you sign up, they put your name in a bracket, and it's a latte art competition. And two people would go on a machine at a time, steam their milk, someone's pulling the shots, and each person would pour latte art at the same time. Uh -huh. set them down and then three randomly selected judges who were like industry guys would each choose one and then you proceed or you get knocked out <laughs> so that's the throwdown and now still happens still happens dude but now think about this though you have standing room only there's like four kegs loud music blasting and that's the throwdown and it's like yeah. four hours long, dude. It was just madness, like crazy town. <laughs> and like you show up and it was like, damn, you could see how stressed these baristas. It was like party. Like I've never experienced before, dude. Yeah. Like, Did you do it? Did you actually run through the, through the, the tournament? Lots. Oh yeah, dude. I eventually, <laughs> I was eventually traveling. I'd have two times competed in national latte art competitions. <laughs> Did you ever win real. any? Where was what's your? I placed, your... I placed second, dude. I have horrible That's... nerves. It was so fucked. And if there's one thing you need, I can't imagine. Like, <laughs> exactly. You, you must be shaking the whole fucking time. I was just gonna say, yeah. if there's one thing you need when you're pouring latte, it is like a steady hand. And if you have yeah. nerves, you're just literally like, I could do this alone, no problem, over and over and over again. <laughs> but a room full of people just like watching Staring what you? you're doing, dude. All coffee people too, who know what to Jesus. look for. Is there it's like an nightmare. audience or people just like sitting down, like cheering and stuff like that or what? Oh yeah. I mean, it basically, it, there's an audience, everyone's watching. And in fact, a lot of places, what they've started doing is they'll project like they'll have a GoPro on the pores and project it onto the screen behind. <laughs> so everyone can watch it, dude. I'm not making this what? shit up. This is so, come to Chicago and go to a throwdown. <laughs> it's insane. That must be crazy. To, okay. It, it is crazy, but I will, I'll be real. Like for as funny and weird as it sounds like, I met a lot of people through it. It was great yeah. for connecting with like people for, you could see kind of like what other coffee shops were doing and like kind of what their vibe was. Um, and it was just like a fun little event for, I think people who were otherwise constantly waking up early and going to bed early because they were always, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, of course. Yeah. It was like, the, it felt like the time when these people can cut loose and be normal, like <laughs> yeah. night owls for once. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, man, it was a, it's a whole thing. Like I said, it still goes on. What but sort yeah, of yeah, art crazy. is it all the standard art or do people like it super creative and like create weird symbols yeah. and stuff? Or is it, what is I it? mean, that's the beauty What's of the it? criteria, go, I guess. So, okay. So glad you asked. There is three criteria, generally speaking. So it's contrast, meaning like white design against brown, like latte okay. background. There's symmetry, yeah. how even your design is. And then there's yeah. like overall, like, does it fill the cup? Well, does it look nice? That sort of thing. Now, that said, that's why it was cool to do these things with different coffee shops. Cause like at Intelligentsia, it was always very regimented, streamlined. Like if someone was competing from there, they're going to pour like a really nice, full symmetrical, like standard latte art. But yeah. then you get someone from some like little funky little coffee shop cafe down the street competing who would pour yeah. like a dragon or a swan, like breathing <laughs> fire and shit, dude. And then the yeah. judges are like, uh, shit. <laughs> like <laughs> one's obviously more creative, but like technically this one's better. So the one I always think about is I was at a latte or throwdown and it was a big crowd. And it was like one dude from this very like intelligentsia end of the coffee industry. And then mm -hmm. what I just said, sort of like more mom and pop type situation. And they both put their drinks down and one was like a perfect little latte design. And the other was like the most cohesive penis latte art i've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life dude full on oh who's like, that person balls that's amazing all, dude. it was that's nuts fucking hilarious so, well dude they put them down and like the audience was like <laughs> like everyone it was like such a thing and the the, the, the lot the dick latte art won and it was a huge awesome. upset dude. Yeah, like good. everyone yeah. was like no like the intelligence was like what the fuck it was so <laughs> like out of a movie like it would make a perfect like yeah. um or like not anchorman but like a will ferrell style comedy like dodgeball yeah. or some type of shit but make it a yeah. lot of competition yeah there's so yeah. much people who take this shit so seriously yeah that's hilarious insane oh yeah but uh yeah that was like that's I, that's a taste of the coffee industry i mean it's <laughs> you know it's probably pretty different now but that was the thing dude that's what i did for years yeah. just working there and going to those events and it did was cool you, for a while until it wasn't. <laughs> wait, so wait, at what point was it not cool? Like, did it just get a little I, too serious or yeah, something? Well, I mean, I guess I just mean that in regards to like my trajectory for coffee oh, okay. stuff. Like yeah. I was, I was with them for a little while. Um, Intelligentsia, like in general, I was with them for like two years maybe. And it just, uh, basically from the shop I moved out here for, we actually, we closed that shop. It wasn't generating enough revenue, closed that. And they put me in a different shop as the manager and I made it like a year, dude. They like put me on classic stuff, like put me on salary and I was grinding out like 60 hours a week. And eventually I just Jesus, burned out. Yeah, like a, of course. just crashed and burned hard at that one. And that was like, that was my first exposure to that sort of thing. Like industry yeah. burnout. I had just always yeah. been like a young person who always bounced back and always never felt phased. That yeah. was the first time put like 60 hours every day, no break, you know, just making yeah. schedules. If someone doesn't show up, you're the guy they call to fill in, you know, manager stuff. Yeah. And it just, I was like, holy shit, dude, I'm not the fit for this shit anymore. So, yeah. you know, that's what eventually led to me dipping from intelligentsia and kind of moving on. But I yeah. look back at it fondly. I mean, it was fun. I met <laughs> a lot of great people and I still keep in touch with now, but you know, probably like with anyone in any sort of industry, if you stick around in it for that amount of time, eventually it catches up to you. So yeah, for sure. Especially was, when you're that like was my intelligentsia days. <laughs> learning that much and like experiencing that much, it's it, yeah, it reaches a, a breaking point for sure. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, did you have a plan after that as well, or did you peace out? You a know, little bit? kind of. Well, I I left, and then I was sort of like 
that was a little more like, shit, I got to figure something out. Like I can't have too long of a gap in my work. You might, you know what I mean? Like I need money. I had some shit saved. I had a little time, but not enough to feel like, Oh, I'm going to take a break for a while. Mm-hmm. So around the last like two weeks or so, when I was dipping from intelligentsia, I began noticing construction right by my apartment of like a new coffee shop. So of course, uh, right out of the gate, I was kind of like, oh, I wonder <laughs> what they're doing in here. And like one day, dude, they like pulled all the brown paper from the windows and revealed the interior. And there was a, a no joke, like a huge lime green coffee roaster just on the floor of this like residential business space. That was a cafe. And I was like, no fucking way, dude. So I straight, I mean, the first weekend they were open, I walked in and I was like, ordered a coffee. I'm like, Hey, are you like, do you know that are the owners around? Like, and the dude who served me was the owner. He's like, I'm Jason. We like just opened this shit. And I was like, <laughs> do you have like five minutes to talk? And we sat down and I told him my whole story. I was like, I've been with this coffee company. It's not working for me. I'm burning out. Like, you know, I don't know if you're looking for people, but I've never roasted coffee before. I'll train your staff like to intelligentsia standards, top to bottom, brewing coffee, latte art, everything I had learned. I was like, I will pass that on to you yeah. if you teach me how to roast coffee. And so that's what happened for a year. I roasted coffee for them and like helped them that's train awesome. the staff. Wait, yeah, so what yeah, is this was, coffee shop? They're called Groundswell Coffee Roasters. They have okay. like three, I think, locations now. And, uh, yeah, it was a super interesting year to say the least. I, it was a good time. I learned a lot about, I think what Starbucks and even intelligentsia taught me about like corporate level shit. This was like a crash course on like basically what I would be looking at if I ever wanted to open up my own cafe. You know what I mean? Like I was there with them to see like cost breakdown, like complaints from neighbors and customers, just like (laughs) top down, like all the bullshit I'm sure first time business owners have to deal with. And they, he was just a Starbucks guy. He had just worked at Starbucks forever and was like, I want to do my own thing and got the funding and did it. So we kind of connected on that level. How did yeah, he learn about just, roasting? Because that's such a thing. Well, work. he went like, yeah, he went like a really traditional route. He actually went and took like proper courses, like classes. Oh, okay. So like, I think when he was at Starbucks, he had kind of started getting interested in like coffee roasting, like how I got mm-hmm. interested in like brewing and like the culture of it. And he like, you can go and sign up for like classes, like all over the country. Like you can go and take like a roasting okay. 101 class somewhere. And then once you do that kind of thing, you can actually keep going and there's like, you can get like certifications almost like board certified, like as a coffee yeah. roaster. So, you know, you could walk okay. into an intelligentsia and be like, oh, here's my, you know, my pedigree with this. So that's basically what he had done. He was like equal parts that and self-taught. And then he just kind of gave me the breakdown of it. And I would go in there and I'd work like half a shift on the floor, like making coffee and serving people. And then I would sit at the roaster and just like geek out for a couple hours and throw a green coffee in the top. And you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, watching this little screen. I don't know how familiar you are with like the process of roasting a, coffee. A little bit. Yeah. 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 It's like a lot. There's like a digital side of it. There's some like computer programs you use to like make sure everything's like in the I, I don't, I'm not science minded. I still don't fully comprehend how exactly I roasted this coffee. I just know like <laughs> I did what they showed me to do and it happened. Yeah. But it was awesome, dude. I loved it. It was like such a perfect little cocoon for me after I had burnt out from intelligentsia and just it was this perfect little like low impact, slight pay cut, but nevertheless, like quality <laughs> of life shot yeah. through the roof. So I was like, all right, this is more yeah. my speed. Yeah. So yeah, dude, I kicked it with them for like a year. And then that was like, I always feel like that's sort of the bookmark of like my, of my coffee days sort of beginning to wind down only because after that, my next job, when I just decided, well, I didn't really decide I was done there. This was more like a new place opened that I was like, 
guys, I'm sorry, I got to go work at this new coffee shop that opened up. Yeah. So the shop called Sawada Coffee opened up in Chicago. And okay. quick backstory for that. It's a part of Hogsalt Hospitality, which is, again, that's where I met Swing, Mike Swing, mm-hmm. where that they were the restaurant group that owned like the bar ramen duo. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the coffee shop is attached to that bar and that <laughs> ramen shop. <laughs> I'm realizing now how like, oh my God, this is going to sound so crazy. But it's literally like a huge warehouse in an industrial part of Chicago, like the West Loop. Tons of warehouses. Yeah. And you walk in and it's like the main level is barbecue. If you go up some steps, there's like a little coffee shop. And if you go downstairs, there's the ramen spot. Yeah. So I heard about this place opening and I went the couple weekends in. And it was nuts, dude. Busy as fuck. And they're pouring these crazy cool like lattes, like all sorts of shit. I was like, what are you guys doing in here? Like, this is crazy. It's like a big Supreme punching bag hanging up in there and like all this street art, skateboard shit everywhere. And that's all like right up my alley. I was like skateboarding growing up, punk music since I started working. And I was just like overwhelmed with this place. I was like, I have to know what's going on with this shit. So I did a little research and it's called Sawada because there's this dude named Hiroshi Sawada from Japan who's like a legendary coffee guy out there. So he has like his own line of coffee, his own line of like latte art gear. Like he's a big Supreme (laughs) guy. Like he's done Supreme collaborations. Like he's just this like big name in that industry. Very niche stuff, dude. Like very like (laughs) – I was like who could possibly know about this? But man, tourist after tourist knew exactly who this guy was. So – so wait, it wasn't, was it just named after him or was he involved in some way? So he was involved. So basically when they decided they want, so they were doing research in Japan for the ramen shop, right? And this, okay. this restaurant group. And while they yeah. were out there, they went to one of this dude's coffee shops. And the, I mean, I pres- can only presume the owner loved, like loved the style of it. He liked how pretty the lattes looked. He liked what it was all about. And uh-huh. pretty, I'm pretty sure he had like one of his henchmen be like you need to find that dude and figure out how to make that work for us and that's what happened they like tracked this dude down and they were like we love your shit we're based (laughs) in chicago do you want to partner with us and he did and now he has a new york spot and a chicago spot damn well that's pretty cool man crazy dude uh super nice dude too i actually i'll get to it more later on but i like i've met hiroshi trained with him a little bit we went to a cubs game together uh, really <laughs> nice. strange, another strange oh. little pocket of my career. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so I went in there and I was just like, dude, this is so cool. And it was like high energy and it just felt like, man, I want to be like a part of this shit. So I did the same thing. I kind of just was like, who's, is there a manager around? Like, I just, I don't know if you guys need help, but like, I've been in the industry for a minute. He were like, yeah, if you got a, a resume submitted, I had like two interviews and they brought me on board. And it was like, Man, what a whirlwind. It was just like a whole new chapter of my life for real. Like I got so swept up in like streetwear. I was like a big Supreme guy. I was getting into like sneaker culture and like bonding with all these new people and groups I had uh-huh. never been a part of before. It was a real like eye opening. Even though I'd been in Chicago for a minute, I almost felt like, damn, I feel like I live in the city now. If yeah. that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I just well, felt like I'd hit a cultural niche where I was like, wow, I feel like I'm like in a group of something here. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. I really enjoyed it. Were they yeah, were they also I, roasting coffee or was it just buying in coffee and stuff like that? It was exactly that. So they had partnered with a roaster called Metropolis pretty early on. Uh, another pretty big Chicago roaster. They have been around, I think, as long as Intelligentsia, maybe longer. But they're another sort of like, you can get Metropolis in like Mariano's now. You know what I mean? Like you can, yeah. they're like in grocery stores and shit, but they're still 
they're still like specialty coffee, but they had been uh, roasting everything for them at the time. They had uh, like Hiroshi went out to their roasting facility and they cupped all these coffees with them to try and mimic coffee he was using like in Japan. So they came up with oh, like a cool. certain, cer- yeah, yeah. It was, it was honestly, man, it was all so, I was like, this is, what a brilliant idea, dude. What a cool <laughs> coffee shop idea out here. And like the neighborhood, it fit. It all just really fell into place, but they just had like branded bags and it was all cool. Like they sold it there and like they had like little books of him, you know, like Latte Art 101 books and shit, <laughs> t-shirts. Like, okay. it was just so unusual for a coffee job, but I was like all about it, dude. And it was busy yeah. ass weekends, just like turn and burn people. It was, it was fun for a while. It was a really good time. Yeah. Were you the manager there or just, just a barista? I was a barista, man. Honestly, after the intelligentsia thing, even still to this day a little bit, I'm so turned off to any kind of management work. Like I just, it really like just even before I was burnt out, like making schedules and like, I hate to say this, but like dealing with adults who are just acting like fucking kids, dude, I was like, I can't do that. Like I'm like talking to people who are older than me and I'm like, I'm sorry I have to say this, Jim, but you got to get to work on time. I'm like, you know, I'm like 25 and this guy's like almost 40. I'm like, I'm so sorry I have to say this to you, man, but like you got to, you were late today, so I got to write you up. I'm like, fuck this, dude. There's no way. So I just, I just kept myself as like a barista. I think I got into like a lead role or something. You know, I think they kind of threw me a bone. Yeah. They knew where I was at and for sure they were very cool with me about, you know, finding a way that wasn't like a management path. I was training people a lot. Um, I was, I've always been really into like the education side of shit. So I was always happy to do like little latte art trainings and shit like that. Yeah. But yeah, I rode that way for a while. Well, actually, I guess I was there for like a little over a year also. And that was really, if, if the interjection that happened hadn't happened, I probably would have stayed at Sawada Coffee for like a, a good amount longer. Yeah. After I'd been there for about a year, I got a message from a person named Richard, who I had worked with very briefly at Intelligentsia, like years and years before. And Richard was like, hey, uh, I don't know if this is something you'd be interested in, but I'm the lead barista at this restaurant called Alinea. Uh, it's like a three Michelin star restaurant in Chicago. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Grand Ackett's or Chef's Table, but they have asked me if we can bring on a second barista. And I've always thought you're, I've always liked your work ethic. I admire you the way you hold yourself. Do you want to come and work at Alinea as a barista? And I was just like... Holy fuck, dude. I just watched like Chef's Table. I had the book, the Alinea book. And like, I was kind of into like the foodie world at the time too. You know, Mm -hmm. Chicago, I was always kind of like into like the newer like restaurants opening and shit. So this, I was just like, you've, I called everyone I knew. I was like, dude, I think I might work at at Alinea, like Alinea. And, you know, I couldn't say no. Like I had to take the shot because at the time I'm like, man, I've been a barista for years if I can get a sweet gig at like a three Michelin star restaurant as like lead barista and just do like sort of weird, innovative coffee stuff, that's it. Like that could be the point for me. So I was like, I got to try it. I told uh, the restaurant group that Sawada was a part of about fully transparent, like about this opportunity. And they were like, dude, you will always have a place here somewhere. You need to go do that. Like they had some Alinea people who had formerly been there also. So everyone kind of got, and they were like, dude, go do your thing like good luck to you. And mm-hmm. I made it three months. That's all I had in me. <laughs> it was the worst job I've ever fucking had, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's, that's Sorry, a lot. You were, you were to Starbucks, but, but holy shit. <laughs> okay. Dude, my God, like I could probably sit here for another hour with you and talk about fucking Alinea. So wait, wait so get, 
what does yeah, what is sorry, the coffee program what is it like i mean do they take it just as seriously as they take the the food like yeah like that's a great question so they they do they really do so like what drew me to it was they were always very like if the last thing a person has after this beautiful meal is a coffee, then the coffee should probably be at least as good as the food, if not better. You know, like the mentality was always yeah, like, yeah. I mean, and it makes sense if you think about it. Like I've been to so yeah. many restaurants where I've had a great meal and then I'm like, you want a cup of coffee or decaf Coffee's at the end and they shit. give you yeah. swill. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, right? like, it's terrible. Like orange ring on the pot. And I love like diner coffee. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I could but- drink that shit all day. But like, you know these people are paying like hundreds of dollars for dinner. Like you don't want to hand them a shitty cup of coffee. at the end. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. So it w- was almost right back to intelligentsia days. They had an offsite training center. They had educators. It was oh, like, shit. I went through the same sort of train. In fact, one of the trainers was a dude I had been trained by at intelligentsia years before. No way. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. It was all, Wait, so all what time, what time <laughs> period is this? So this was like 2000 and like 11 to 12 maybe no 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 sorry okay. further than that further than that you know why i remember that this is so fucked up dude i remember <laughs> going to work at sawada the morning after donald trump got elected president <laughs> okay because i remember okay. that morning everyone was like shell-shocked i mean you're in the west loop neighborhood of chicago which is yeah, like yeah. you know oh, believe me, yeah. already pretty like liberal area yeah. anyways but you know yeah a little more on the progressive side and i'll never forget going into work and it was like dude one I, guy was in there like holding back tears i'm not playing like oh, i was I, like this is for real up. <laughs> yeah i, I worked so, at a, i worked at a had a coffee shop as well in here in austin when when nice. he got elected it was the same like no one talked the whole day yeah the coffee was like shop was silent and there were people <laughs> would like on the verge of tears yeah yeah, dude, yeah. it was like we were was, an observation yeah. of something it was just so yeah. crazy so yeah that was 2016 2016 okay yeah and no. i was at sawada then so alinea was probably 2017 i would have to say then if okay. that's where that brought me because it was pretty it was after that but yeah 2017 um pre-covid still they were only open five days a week um so it was my schedule was always uh Tuesday through Sunday, they were closed on, no, no, Tuesday through Saturday, they were closed on Sundays and Mondays. But yeah, it was like the same education program over again. So I would go there and do my coffee training and shit. Um, just like relearn how to like dial coffee in and do some latte art stuff. Yeah. But the service, the coffee service at Alinea, before I unpack more of the details of what my like day to day there was like, basically the service there is like, Towards the dessert portion of the meal, they would ask the, you know, the guests, like, I'm calling them guests. See, like, they're not customers yeah. anymore. When I'm in a linear <laughs> mode, like, oh, guests. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> it's so I, fucked up. I still, yeah, still to this day, I'm like, corner, behind. Like, oh, yeah. all that shit stays with you. You know that, but. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it gets ingrained. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the grocery store and I still stay behind people all the Dude, time. Yeah. I'll like hold the door and be like, thanks, have a good one. See you or something. They're like, what the <laughs> fuck dude, are you saying to me? But it like was military uh, training. Yes. Yeah, yeah, dude, it truly was. So like that was just the coffee portion of it. So what would happen is like around dessert, they'd be like, are you, will you be interested in coffee this evening? And if someone's like, sure, then it's like, all right, do you want to do a pour over? Do you want regular? Do you want decaf? We have like three options from these different regions, or we can make you a steamed drink. Jesus. Do you want like regular decaf? Do you want a latte? A cappuccino? Just give like, me a fucking coffee. Holy shit. Dude, yeah, I mean, so much. Honestly, they pretty much made it so that like whatever I would say your average diner, even though these are like people going to a linear, probably, you know, quote unquote foodies, they're spending like a thousand fucking dollars on a meal, you know, like yeah, they probably yeah. have a little knowledge of coffee shit, but essentially someone could order almost anything 
and we would figure That's out a way crazy. to make it for them. Dude, I'll never forget this dude, the GM one night ran down to like the store and bought like fucking matcha powder somewhere or like coconut milk. Some, I'm not playing dude. We had some dude in there who was like insistent and he was like, okay. And they made it happen. That was like the mentality. They're like, we're not going to say no, we're going to do it. And they did. And it was, it was fucked up. I was always a little impressed by that, but I was also just like, dude, where do you draw the line? Like this is insane (laughs) to do. There's no line. Yeah. Literally there's no line. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. So it was basically, my like the way it would work for me there is I would actually be on the floor running food for the there was two services I would be on the floor running food for the first half of each service and then Richard would be like hey coffee service is starting wrap up and come on upstairs and that was naturally my favorite part of the night every night yeah because before I go on with that uh so when you work at Alinea you have to work the floor no matter what your role is so if you're there to be a sommelier if you're there to be a chef, whatever, like, well, not a chef, they have their own little fucking program they have to do. But if you want to be <laughs> a, a yeah. SOM or a front waiter, anything like that, you have to be a food runner first because they want everyone yeah. to know the lay of the restaurant, how things operate, shit. Yeah. So I was food running first and my God, dude, it was awful. I can't tell you enough. I hated every second of being in that fucking kitchen, dude. Like you, I had to be there at 1 p.m., start setting up, you're polishing, you have a task, you're polishing, you're setting shit up. And it's like, they at every turn that restaurant, they squeeze you for time. So it's like, they give you a task yeah. that by any stretch of the imagination would take you, say like an hour. And they'd be like, all right, 45 minutes, we have pre-meal, don't be late or else you're doing all the dishes basically. So you're like always on edge, right? You're always kind yeah. of like rushing, but still being careful. So yeah, I'd go in and you get your task and everyone's quiet. Everyone's doing their thing. You'd have a pre-meeting. Then everyone would go down to the one tiny locker room we all shared, men and women or and, every, and everything in between. And you would yeah. change into your runner's outfit uh, and you'd go back upstairs and you'd go back to the same room you met the first time to have your, pre, your second pre-shift. Yeah. And the first one was very casual, just sort of catching up on like stuff. People were a little more free to talk. But the second pre-shift, you're sitting there at attention the doors like open yeah, like Iron Chef or some shit. And in walks <laughs> the three chefs that night, usually like Grant Ackett's and his Sue and his executive chefs or whatever. And they uh-huh. walk in and it was good afternoon. And everyone in unison, good afternoon, chef. Holy How are we doing shit. today? Good chef, dude. Like everything they'd run. Down Have the you seen of- the menu? That sounds like the menu. It is the menu. It's I'm not playing. Insane. I made it out alive, but yeah. it is the fucking menu. <laughs> we can talk about that shit too. But dude, it was militant. And it was like they'd run down the list of, of uh, guests that night. And it would be like... Just VIPs or everybody? VIPs, but they would full research people. Like if like I went to one of their spots before I worked there. It was a bar called uh, the Aviary. And I went in there one night mm-hmm. for a drink and they knew where I worked. Like they knew about my career and shit because they like look people up like they're like on social media they want to know who people are so that they don't fumble the ball on shit so they'd be like oh tonight we got like uh we got this guy who's like from europe somewhere coming in he's a foodie here we have this guy he's like uh higher up in this company here whatever and then steph curry's coming in at seven with his entourage and uh elijah wood will be in at nine so you know whatever and it's just like everyone's like taking notes they would go oh, over like menu changes, ingredient changes, all that shit. Yeah. 
And then service would start. You go down to the kitchen, I hop in line, and then we start getting calls for food and the chefs start putting it together. And it's like literally like the menu. They'd be like, runner. And someone would be like, yes, chef, run down to the station, hold their tray, get plated up, and then you go and deliver your food. Yeah. For fucking 12 hours straight. One to one. <laughs> like every day, dude, up and down stairs, heavy trays. It was nuts, yeah. dude. It was just absolutely. And then on top of that, you know, without slinging too much mud or anything like dude the chefs in there i was like what is your guy's problem literally i want to know what everyone's problem here is because everyone was mad all the time everyone I don't know was how they off. fucking maintain that sort of like anger it's like dude oh why are you so mad well probably like it's almost no like they enjoy it. yeah <laughs> yes. they probably well, enjoy all. being mad yeah dude after a while i would seriously get to sunday night and get antsy and be like i gotta get back to work it's fucked. I would like literally start to feel, oh my God, what am I supposed, I don't know what to do with myself. I have to get back in there. And I can only yeah. imagine that's what happens to people in the military and shit. Cause it does really yeah. like rewire you after a little while. But for dude, sure, it was yeah. just like every day, like over the course of that shit, I saw people throw shit down on the floor and walk out. I saw a guy cry one time after getting bitched out. Like, like cooks or, or, or who? cooks, front runner, everyone, no one was safe from this shit, dude. Like you, they would turn on you in a heartbeat. What like, the and fuck? that's, I think, yeah. yeah. And I think that's what really kept everyone on edge because like, if you made one wrong move or one wrong, I got yelled mm -hmm. at for like smirking ones for laughing. I had people like all sorts of shit. I was this, I was talking to a chef one time and I had a V executive chef literally in front of the kitchen say, Hey, you two less romance, more working. And everyone's just like, yeah, chef. It's oh, yeah. just insane, dude. It was yeah. just like fucking after a while, just like intolerable type of shit. But did you, did you know the second you got in there that you'd kind of like made a mistake or whatever that you like, you were like, Oh fuck. Or did it take a while to understand how tight it was, it was? You know, it was, I mean, I'd be lying if I said otherwise it was pretty quick, honestly. Like once I was very drawn in and like sort of romanticized with like the coffee side of it. And then once I realized the reality of like what I was doing there day to day to day, yeah, I was just like, dude, if they were to say, give it one more month and then you're done and you can just do coffee or whatever, I probably would have tried to hold out a little bit, but I was yeah. just like, this isn't shit I can do indefinitely. Like I can't just do this yeah. while I'm waiting for something to happen. It's just, there's no way. So I could tell you so many stories, dude, I could unpack so much shit, but I just want to share two stories with you just to give you yeah, a sense of, of <laughs> the environment there while I was in it. The first one is, and I worked the three months I worked there was over the course of winter. I think it was like a November through December, like end of like January sometime. It was very short lived, but there was one time middle of winter, I'm in the kitchen waiting for service to start. And it was hot. Like, like I was sweating hot. It was always hot in there, but this was like noticeably like warm in the kitchen today. And I was like, mm -hmm. dude, I'm burning up. What the fuck is going on in here? And I turned to the person behind me and I was like, are you hot in here? Am I losing it? Like what's going on in here? I'm not making this shit up, dude. He goes, yeah, it is hot in here today. Chef's a little bit pissed off or chef's frustrated or something. And I was like, okay, like so. And he goes, when chef comes in here and is mad, he puts the thermometer up by five to 10 degrees. So everyone in here knows he's pissed off. What? And I was just like, that's what really like really like come on yeah. dude and it was for real and it was everyone just lived like lived in that dude it was crazy the other thing was and this was the first moment where i was like if i stay here for too much longer i'm gonna like have a heart attack <laughs> or something mind. dude so i was returning down to like the dish pit area with a heavy ass tray of dishes and 
picked over food and shit. And I go to the landing and I set it down and I can see it's like slow motion. I have a little wooden spoon teetering on the edge of this tray. And it's like in slow motion. I just watch this little wooden spoon fall off the tray and just uh-huh. barely tap the ground. Nothing broke, no ceramic, no glass. It was a, yeah. a wooden spoon. And I look up and there's a front waiter standing there looking right at me. And the rule, uh, the rule at the time was if you drop anything, whether it breaks, whether it doesn't break, it doesn't matter. If something leaves your like control and falls to something else, you uh-huh. need to take that object and go find the senior most chef in the kitchen and show them right then and there. Like stop what you're doing and go show them. And so I are, see this. Are you fucking three years old? What the yeah, fuck dude. is this? Dude, this is crazy. And here's the thing, dude. If you say anything about it at the time, I'm not kidding you. I'd be like, dude, what the fuck? Like, why is it like this here? I literally had a chef one time say, that's how you get three Michelin stars. And I was yeah, just like, dude, you people are, this is, I don't even know what this is. Like, it's not good though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this spoon falls and I look up and this front waiter sees me and he's like, basically like, I'm sorry, but I just saw that. Like, you have to do the thing. Like, you can't just not do it. So I'm like, fuck. And I pick up this spoon and I turn and I look and the kitchen's like right in the middle of service and it's Grant Ackett's fucking chef Ackett's is there plate in a dish. And I'm just like, yeah, no way. And I walk up to him like quivering and I hold up, I go up to next to him and he's not even looking at me. You know, he's got his little tweezers. He's putting flowers on some bullshit. And I'm just like, (laughs) um, chef. And he doesn't turn and look at me and I'm like, I'm so sorry, chef. And he literally is like, what? Like, he's just like, <laughs> Holy shit. And there I am holding a fucking wooden spoon what out at fuck? him. And I'm like, I, I dropped this. And he's just like, <clears throat> like grunts almost and goes back to what he was doing. And that was it. And I just like scurried off. And I went into the dish pit, dude. And I was like hyperventilate. I was like, <sighs> like trying to get my head on straight, like deep breaths. Yeah. And this other runner came in who I'm still friends with. I'll never forget this moment. Shout out to Alex. If he's listening, ever listens to this, but I'll never forget. I was just like, obviously beside myself. I was just so like freaked out. And he put a hand on me real quick. And he was like, just keep going, dude. It's fine. Like, I know this sucks, but just keep going. Like you got, got to just swallow it and push through. It's not a big deal. Don't let it be a big deal. I needed someone to say that so bad. I would have walked out. So I did. I just swallowed it. And I just like, went back out there and it was business as usual for the rest of the night. No one said anything about it. There was nothing else to it. That was it. But man, I mean, shit, it was effective because I never fucking dropped anything ever again. That's for sure. I know. know It must be like some element of like PTSD. Like that just fucks you up so much. Dude, for years after, not anymore, for years after working in bars, if I heard a glass break, I was like, holy shit. Because <laughs> like, like, the thing is, is like at that restaurant, oh if like a glass God. or something breaks, everyone feels it, dude. If one person oh, gets yeah. like a team mentality, if one person gets in trouble for some shit, it's like the whole team's going to suffer for it. Yeah. So anyway, that's after how they a while, bars. Yeah. yeah, but that's how that's, they do it, right? So it didn't take long for me to realize like, dude, this, I'm not cut out for this. And I don't want to be cut out for this. Like, I don't want to feel like I need to like change to fit this because it's like, yeah, not right. Just not the right fit for me. So 
when I started wait, wait, thinking about so like, what, uh, sorry. wait, what was the actual coffee service like? Did you actually enjoy that? Oh, that shit, bit of, of it? Course. Or was like, uh, no, you just, <laughs> skip over the, that other stuff, <laughs> the other stuff yeah. really fucked you up so much. That's all you, you could think about. Uh, yeah. I mean, truthfully. Yeah. Like, honestly, dude, like all that was so severe enough for me to just be like, this isn't worth it. But the coffee yeah. service part was so I would get pulled when coffee service was ready. And there was some nights when I wouldn't because they didn't need two baristas. That was the other kicker. Oh, some nights dude, I would that be there and I'd be like, You're just like, fuck, I got to work service like this yeah, all night. Yeah. And, and I could tell my, my friend there who had gotten me in kind of felt a way about that, felt bad. And honestly, sometimes Richard would be like, if you want to go do coffee service tonight, you can. I'll just hold back or whatever. And I'd be like, thank you. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thanking the guy. It's so crazy to think about any of this shit now, but yeah. So I would go up there and we would essentially get like waiters or whoever would come in and they would like give us a little ticket and we would start making coffee drinks and we would just kind of rotate making a latte or a brew or whatever. And we'd be like, cool. Are you going to go run this to like table 37 seat B or some shit? Okay, cool. Got it. And then mm-hmm. I would work on something and we would, you know, rotate and it was really enjoyable. Honestly, it was a cool coffee service. It was extremely unique. We would go a little crazy sometimes. We'd do like table side latte art pouring. Like we would have couples in for, I'll never forget. I'm very proud of this. We had a couple come in for Valentine's Day and they both wanted a cappuccino. So me and my guy both walked to the table and each stood on one side of the table and poured a heart latte art for each of them, like in oh, unison nice. and like set them <laughs> down for them. Like, you know, again, thinking about that now, I'm like, corny as fuck but at the time yeah. i was like this is crazy whoa innovative <laughs> you know the glassware we would use were real like crazy handmade unique ceramic glassware and shit yeah. i like that part of it i really did but it was just again like that was not able to outweigh just this environment that i was like dude this is so and i know this word gets thrown around especially like post-covid but like true toxic kitchen shit yeah true movie the menu type shit where i was like dude yeah this is nuts. These people aren't living any kind of lives. Like this is so no, brutal. Absolutely just, not. Yeah, just terrible. So that was like, I was starting to feel that side of it. But at the same time, I was kind of starting to act like an asshole. Like we had a situation where I bitched some kid out. We had a younger guy who was like in my way or some dumb shit. And I was like, move, dude. Like, uh, like I started becoming part of that culture. Yeah, yeah. And then that was even more so. I was like, dude, like I, I'm not like a... You know, I work at a dispensary now. I'm probably a lot more chill, but I'm not like by nature, this like hippy dippy type of guy. I can be serious, but this was a level where I was like, dude, we're not, we don't have like patients here for fucking brain transplants. Like we have people <laughs> dining. They're eating a yeah. meal, you they're know, eating, like they're I, eating food. It's just whatever it's. Yeah. I appreciate and respect the food industry and the service industry. I always have. And like, I don't like to downplay the importance that like a person preparing food does have, because I do think it's important, but this is like not at people's expense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So oh, yeah. once that all started accumulating, I was like, dude, I got to figure something out. Like now I'm really like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No coffee shops left. I want to work for. I kind of have a lay of the land with that scene. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? So I was having a drink back at the bar that <laughs> Swing worked in the basement of, and I had worked in the coffee shop. Yeah. Of, so I'm back mm-hmm. in the West Loop having a beer on one of my weekends. And so when I worked at the coffee shop there, I'd really gotten to know a lot of the staff there. So like, that's when I met Mike Swing and like the high five crew, but then the crew working in the barbecue spot, I was making coffees for them all every morning, you know, and we kind of yeah. started all to get to know each other and they became my friends and shit. So I was at the bar one day and my buddy Chris was bartending. Shout out Chris if he's listening to this also. He saved my life also. <laughs> Same. Um, but I was at the bar and I was almost like crying into a beer, dude. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed yeah. to do. I was so down and out. And 
my buddy Chris was like, have you ever thought about bartending? He's like, you'd be a, a great bartender. You know how to work with people. Have you ever thought of that? And I literally, full transparency, had never thought of it. It was as simple as that. And <laughs> never in my mind once over all those years considered bartending. I just yeah. never thought of it. I dated people who were bartenders. I had a lot of friends who were bartenders. But for some reason, I just never crossed over into that for myself. And I was you like, needed somebody to tell you that it was okay to be yeah, a bartender yeah, or something? Kind yeah, of, kind of. Yeah. I was just so set in what I was doing. But he was like dude, like we don't vouch for you. Like maybe we can get you like a, you know, a stage or some shit like that. And I was like, maybe I should try it. I guess so. So the last month or so I was at Alinea, I was like low key talking to Green Street Smoke Meats, which is the barbecue place. Hmm. And they gave me a stage, which was literally me hanging out with my buddy, Chris and our friend Max, who was also a bartender there, literally just drinking beer all night, dude. Uh, they didn't show, they showed me like how they shake cocktails. They're like, you got to do it like this. You got to be cool to do it. Like you got to do it so that women see you do it and get tips and shit, dude. You're a bartender. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And that was my stage. And they hit me up like a week later and they're like, Chris and Max had a lot of real positive stuff to say about you. Like they think you're a good fit. Like we know how you work it. Yeah. So this was actually cool, dude. They were like, we know how you work from when you were at Sawada. They're like, we've seen your work ethic up there and how you conduct yourself. And they were like, we want to give yeah. you a shot down here. And I was like, oh my God, dude, that's such good luck. Like I was so thankful that that was like cooked into that deal. You know what I mean? They all knew who I was. I knew where everything was there. Yeah. It was just kind of a nice fit. And then that was truly the start of like, all right, coffee days are over. I'm like an at-home barista now. I'm a bartender. <laughs> and it was just like- Wait, so why didn't you choose to go back to Sawada? Were you kind of just done with coffee at that point? You're like, fuck it. I don't fucking care. Yeah, kind of, dude. I was like, I really was feeling like, uh, like I didn't want to go back to that grind really. I think maybe without realizing it at the time as much thinking about it now, I truly think I thought Alinea was like going to be it. Like I really think I put all my eggs in that basket and it wasn't. And yeah. I was just so deflated by that whole thing. I really think I was like, I need a fresh start or like, I just can't. I just need to change something like something's not working. Yeah. I think I felt like I'd hit the end of a road in that industry. And I was like, well, where do I go from Alinea? Either right. Like you said, I could go back to where I yeah. was before or and it feels like you know, you're going this, backwards kind of. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. And you know how that goes. Like you never want to feel like you're making a step back in your career in that regard. So yeah. I was like, shit, let's give it a shot. And they were willing to give me a shot. So I started bartending and for, I did that there for like a good three years, I want to say. So like probably right up until COVID ish, yeah. I was bartending and dude, the green street days when I was bartending there, it was so much fun, but so debaucherous. Dude. I don't know how, what your experience with bartending is at all. If you've done much bartending in your career, I've, or any, I've bar backs, but, but that's about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's even a, a peek into it, probably too. But man, like my second week there, I had two bartenders pull me aside and they're like, "Hey, we need to talk to you about something, dude." And I was like, "Fuck!" Like, what's up, guys? <laughs> like, what is it? Yeah. And now, mind you, I'm back in an environment where I'm not like the seasoned guy anymore. I'm fresh at intelligentsia mode again. I'm just like around these yeah. like tattooed bartenders who I'm like, holy shit, like these guys are cool. <laughs> like, oh man. And I was so green and so excited. And they were like, we just want to talk to you about something. Like you don't seem like you're really keeping up. We're like four drinks in dude. Like, are you okay <laughs> over here? I was like, Jesus, what? man. And they literally handed me a, a little water cup with like fucking whiskey in it. And they're like, come on, dude, like you loosen up. Like you can have fun here. It's all right. It's all right. Like relax a little, relax a little. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah. All right. And dude, it was just every day, just set up the bar, start drinking. 
all the way to the end of the night, go out, have shift drinks and Jesus, get into that man. loop, dude. And I did it for a firm, like there, like two years of just nonstop, either hungover or drunk <laughs> or tipsy Jesus, at all yeah. times if I wasn't asleep. Holy shit, man. And, you know, like looking back, obviously not the healthiest way to live. I mean, at the time though, I mean, you know, at the yeah. time though, I can't tell you enough, dude, I had, I was having so much fun. I was like, yeah. just, it was a whole new way to view Chicago. I had bar friends now everywhere we went in the neighborhood, people were hooking us up because they oh, were yeah, all coming to our bar to drink, you know? So like yeah. you build up that camaraderie with like the other service people in the neighborhood. Oh yeah. I realized quickly how different it was in that way from the coffee industry. So the coffee industry is very, a lot more insular. I think it's a lot more like if you work for this company, you're in more of a bubble. Whereas yeah. the bar scene felt way more like a community. Like we knew the yeah. bartenders from the place across the street. They knew us and like all over, you know what I'm saying? Like all that. Yeah. yeah. Shit. You keep trading like services and stuff like yeah, that. Trading people. Yeah. All, yeah. Insane. A hundred. And everyone knows everyone. And like, yeah, I yeah. loved it. I really did love that scene. Green street was a great place to work. There's a big hotel across the street called the Soho house. And the Soho house is like a cl member's club and like a, a high end hotel that like artists and celebrities and athletes would stay at when they were in town. So yeah. we would get like at the bar, you'd look up and there's like some musician or fucking dude. Like when I was at Sawada still, I served uh, David Schwimmer, like Ross from friends. I made a cappuccino. <laughs> I made a cappuccino for John Malkovich one time, dude. Like oh, it was nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. There was actually one story real quick. There was <laughs> so funny, dude. There was, um, uh, this one morning, this is so fucked up. I, I don't know, whatever. I'll just say it. Fucking <laughs> what's the, I don't know if you ever watched the show entourage, but the dude, uh, yeah. 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 Ari gold, uh, Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Jeremy, you Piven. Know Jeremy Piven. Yeah. If you ever listen to this shit, Jeremy Piven, shame on you. You are a rude customer, dude. <laughs> he came in like, dude, yeah. he came in like after we were closed and was so this is terrible. I shouldn't name names. No, no, it's fine. He's it canceled just, now. Just, he's like, he's like, oh, really good. Fine. Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, he's a dad, <laughs> yeah. dude. He was just rude. And I've never seen one person with that many bracelets on their arm at one time. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but that's the kind of the clientele, though, man. It was cool. It was like they get yeah. some bands sometimes. You get people roll through, and people always like the neighborhood is a very uh, touristy area. So you'd always get people asking for recommendations where they should go and stuff. So it was just like it was a really fun time for all that shit. Wait, wait, wait. So um, you said Jeremy Piven, like you guys were closed and he like came like knocking on the window and shit. And oh, I'm sorry. He came close to close. Like he, so that was kind of the fucked up thing with the coffee shop is like the shop itself. The coffee place would close at like three or four, but the barbecue wow. place is open and it's yeah. all shared space. So, so like people you think can, everything's open. Of course. Of course. Yeah. It was weird too. It was cool, but it was weird because you get people in the morning getting coffee and then they would go sit down in the barbecue restaurant because it was like tabletop, like a uh, picnic table style seating. Yeah. So you go in there at like 11 barbecue places closed, but the place is full of laptops and computer and coffee cups. <laughs> it was very strange that like very weird, but it was cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he came in there. So like people would, would walk in through barbecue entrance and walk up at like four Oh two would be like, Oh man, can I just get a latte real quick, please, please, please. And it's like Jeremy Piven with his crew. So we're like, yeah, dude. All right. All right. <laughs> we like, we'll, yeah. we'll do it, you know, fine. But yeah, that was just like the kind of clientele. And it was always um, at the bar, same sort of thing. Dude, like people would come over there after shows or after whatever. And it was a real party scene for a while. Uh, a lot of 4 a.m. bars, all sorts of shit. Um, oh, yeah. I, was I was DJing a lot at the time. So we had like a turntable in there. So I was a I'm a big vinyl right. collector like I still am. So I was like accumulating vinyl while I was working there and then going out and doing like 
sets at other places. It was just like a, yeah. it was a very fun time in my life. Um, what kind of, what kind of music, what kind of DJ? Oh man. So at the time now I'm, I'm just, well, so at the time I was doing a little bit more like rock and roll type shit. I would do a lot of sets of like uh themed type sets. So I do like a Quentin Tarantino set. So like all Quentin Tarantino soundtrack, that's it. You know, I had each one of those albums on vinyl yeah. and I would do like a whole night of that. I did like, uh, all like, you know, uh, psychedelic night, like psych garage rock type of night, okay. you know, like rock and roll type shit like that. Yeah. And that spread out all over the city after a while during the same time frame, which I always, always love doing that, like in tandem with the bartending. Yeah. Now I'm like, uh, we can talk more music. I'm more of like, I'm kind of like settled into like a metal guy now ish yeah. punk metal stuff i've kind of just gone back to what i liked when i was like 14 and that's just what i like now <laughs> well, Chicago, <laughs> I re- chicago's I a great reset. place for metal yeah right. oh yeah dude i actually you know yeah. what? i was listening to i haven't finished it but i was listening to swings episode and i was yeah. like very happy to hear all the name drops like pelican and all that shit yeah dude, um, I, I love the chicago metal scene it's great dude it's, it's crazy there's so and like i'm uh like metal scene also like hardcore shit too there's so much good stuff in chicago yeah. right now it's insane like yeah. every week a new band has like a demo they put out it's so fun. yeah it's awesome but yeah i was doing all that at the time and then i'm trying to think of when the green street days came to an end so i was there up until like new year's of 2019 no so actually okay this is how it went down. It was 2020 because now we're getting into COVID area. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you had more you wanted to unpack before all this, but this is definitely <laughs> like the next step of the journey. But I mean, to conclude, Green Street was like party years for me, dude. It was just like fun. Yeah. Every shift was a party. Like we got to play our own music. I wore whatever I want. I met so many people. Awesome. Like it was just, it was yeah. a great, a very positive time in my life. And at the same time, I was coming from Alinea. So I truly was feeling you let in loose. There. Yeah. I, yeah. And it was like my safe place, truthfully, man. Like it really, I was like every day thankful and relieved to go work there and not at the restaurant. And yeah. Just thankful. Yeah. 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 Dude. I is was your, asked that. Is your, uh... Stop. Be oh like, yeah, oh, yeah. You'd be like, "Thank God, I don't have to get off right there." Yeah. Oh, yeah. horrible, horrible. Is your is your buddy still at Alinea? No, he's uh, he stayed there quite a bit after I did, and now I believe I actually think Richard might be in Austin, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. I know he's in the oh, okay. his name's Richard Alvarez. I know Austin's like it's, that's like you asking me like, do you know someone from Chicago or like, small little city? But I know Austin's a huge food scene. I but think, I think I know that that name. But. uh yeah, like I think he's stuck with that. And then I think he's in fine dining in some capacity. A lot of those Alinea people, man, seriously, a lot of them would stay for X amount of time to basically get it on their resume. And then they yeah. would go get a job somewhere else. Like a lot out. of people, yeah. exactly. A lot of them, uh, the people going through there weirdly wanted to work in hotels, like really fancy, like high end hotels. Like that's, oh, yeah. they wanted that's to be like the, the concierge is. there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that was a pipeline to that for them. So, hey, respect. But for me, I was just like, dude, I can't imagine a job I'll ever have that would be like, oh, Alinea? Wow. Nice, dude. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. Where am I going to go? Where they're like, well, you know, yeah, so that, is just the, like, that is kind of the top of the, the food chain there in terms of coffee, right? It, it, it Maybe, really is. Much. It yeah. really is. So needless to say, I didn't feel like I had any reason to stay much longer than I did. But yeah, yeah the Green Street thing. So I'll never forget this. So the Green Street thing was going good. And I had started seeing my now wife at the time, who also worked for the same restaurant group. We met through that scene, you know, of, yeah, you know yeah. how that all goes. But we we had just started dating. And this sounds so silly, but... I went to a renaissance fair out here with a bunch of bartenders from Green Street. Uh And I was in the midst of a 
rough drinking cycle, like always. But I was just like, this was yeah. me, Pete, like hungover, drink again, hungover, drink again, just like nonstop type shit. And yeah. I went to this Renaissance fair, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., nonstop drinking. Like I'm talking like the minute I got <laughs> in my buddy's car was like we cracked open the flask and started going. Like it was just – Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible. And it's like hot outside. We're drinking like sugary cocktails. Not good. Yeah. I had a brutal hangover. It was like two days. And that was the moment I decided to stop drinking altogether. Yeah. And I was like, nice. I'm sober now. Done. I can't fucking do this shit anymore. I'll bartend, but I'm not drinking anymore for leisure ever again. And I still haven't. That was like years ago. Oh, nice. And I still have okay. I'm still alcohol sober. Yeah. And again, my now wife did the same thing with me. She had also been experiencing some gnarly burnout. And we were both like, we fight when we're drinking. Let's stop drinking, see what happens. And it was a great decision for both of us. Yeah. So nice. needless to say, that did change my mentality after a little while at a point. I started to feel a little bit like, all right, like bartending's good. I know I like it still, but like, is this really where I want to be now? Like being sober and bartending is way different. Like when you take the party oh, aspect yeah. out of it, it becomes know, a job yeah. again. And then suddenly I'm like, this is like, it becomes play. way grosser too. Like yeah. you start to be like how fucking disgusting everybody is. When you have a drink, you're like, you're part of the party. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're the sober person at Dude. the fucking party, it's awful. It's it fucking awful. terrible. It is really terrible. And that's what really wore me down was like, the funny thing is like the technical part of it. The work is so much easier. I get to the end of my night. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I, I feel great. Why do I feel so good? I'm like, I've been drinking fucking all yeah. day before this. Yeah. So, they, um, at the time, two things happened. One, they decided to do a big demo on the bar that I was working at, like a big facelift, basically, uh -huh. and a, a slight redesign. But they also began construction or were finishing construction on a restaurant, another restaurant attached to the back mm. of that building. Jesus, man. <laughs> a, yeah, I know. Crazy, dude. So now that's four restaurants in the same in one build. It's yeah. Damn. Stupid. <laughs> crazy. I mean, smart <laughs> for them, but crazy. So yeah. when that started going under construction, they pulled me aside and they were like, hey, we have an opportunity for you. If you want to make a move up, we're going to pull you out of Green Street. We want to put you in this new bar setting and you can become basically like the bar lead bar trainer here. We'll give you a pay bump, like whole nine. And I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Like maybe I can do bartending, but like cocktail bartending. I've never really done that. Green Street was a lot of like really basic cocktails, like old fashions, but mostly draft beer. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, ooh. I could get into cocktailing. That's kind of cool. Like there's a little more art behind it, a little more to it, you know, yeah. a little more involved there. So I helped open this new restaurant. I'm back in uniform. I'm wearing like, now I'm talking bartender, like bow tie and suspenders. Oh, bartender. Okay. Yeah, dude, right. that guy. Oh, Mixologist, horrible. dude. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> so bad, dude. Ugh. So I'm at this new place. Um, my wife was there with me also. She was like the lead concierge. We had a whole thing going. And honestly, at this point, I was like happy with it. I was good. We were like going through the, the pains of opening a new space. But I was like, this is awesome. My first restaurant opening. I'm kind of in an upper position. Everything was like, this could work. This could be cool. Yeah. And then I was working a Saturday night service. And a regular of mine walked up to the little service well I was working out of. He had tears in his eyes. And I was like, are you good? Like, what the fuck, dude? What's going on? And he goes shit's getting bad, dude. They just canceled the NBA. And I was like, what? Okay. What? Yes. And he goes, they're done with this season, dude. Have you heard of this like COVID shit? And I was like, 
yeah, like we're all like washing our hands and they're telling us about hand sanitizer and shit. But I was like the NBA, like the like national basketball, so like shutting down. He's like, shit's going to be bad, dude. That same night, I, we got an, a mass email that said yeah. we will be temporarily closed for the weekend due to COVID spread while we yeah. will regroup and figure out like you'll hear from us next week. That was yeah. the last day I worked there. Yeah. That was COVID. That was the start Jesus. of COVID, dude. And Jesus, man. And yeah, yeah both my wife and I just suddenly were like, what the fuck, dude? And just like everyone else, we went into quarantine and that was it. That yeah. really in my mind now still, I'm like, that was truly the end of that section of my career. That was yeah. a hard finishing point. Like probably yeah. tons of people. Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's 2020. And then, man, that was really like, I can't stress enough to you. I was just actually talking to my brother earlier today about this, like 2020 and COVID really, and I know it affected so many people in so many ways, but like truly obliterated our careers. Like it truly, and I'm thankful for you and your wife, you mean? Yes, exactly. Both of us, but it truly just, and everyone else really in that industry at the time, like we our careers that we had been like kind of banking on just annihilated it was just no yeah. we couldn't work like everyone and uh so we were at home and we're kind of like whatever and we got the call like the restaurant started doing like takeout food so uh-huh. like we started going into the restaurant you know a couple days a week we were i was getting like you know the government check she was working a little still here it was just such a like everyone probably remembers such a doldrumy weird time like it was just so yeah. fucked up dude just like masked yeah. oh, up, yeah. sitting in these empty restaurants yeah waiting just waiting for people to pick up food dude oh such a mess just so terrible so when we got called back we got called back to a different restaurant so now okay. i'm not in the west loop green street sawada high five around that whole building anymore yeah. My wife and I both got a call to go to a building that's in a neighborhood called River North, which is a little bit more like the loop proper in Chicago. Think like downtown, like not super yeah. far from like the Bean and like Millennium Park. Yeah. And it was a restaurant, an Italian restaurant attached to like just like a modern French. I don't even know what the concept was. Um, restaurant same, called, same restaurant group? Same restaurant group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, called Guilt Bar. And the, the Italian place was called Ciccio Mio. It was an Italian restaurant. Okay. And yeah, dude. The funny name. So, I know. So stupid. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not fond of this era. And needless to say. But, so we slowly start going back into work and we're doing takeout. And then it's like, all right, we got approved to do outdoor dining now, guys. So we're going to only do outdoor dining. So we started doing outdoor dining and my wife was uh, like a, head maitre d so she's like welcome like the host stand type shit and also wait running Mm -hmm. food and everything and i was a bartender in an italian restaurant that the bar was set at the furthest point back in the restaurant and Uh everyone's eating outside at the patio so i'm making all of my drinks and we're walking them across outside to this through this whole restaurant basically it was just a super ridiculous setup that was not practical but it was like what we had to do for covid type shit yeah And man, those days, I swear to God, dude, people were so nuts. So like I've always felt in any service industry, retail, you name it, like around the holidays, I've always felt like is when you get a true sense of a person. So like someone shopping on Christmas (laughs) Eve, they're either going to become their true self and either be like the true big jerk off that they always are, but only worse, or they're going to be like the good person who's like, I'm going to give you extra thanks for being here working. I always felt like those stressful times of year reveal a person. 
Man, COVID did the same, dude. It was either like a family who'd come by and eat and they'd be like, thank you so much. We've been locked up. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Give like a $100 <laughs> yeah. tip sure. and you're like, yeah. no problem. Or, and I'm not making this up, I'd be making drinks and a dude would walk inside and I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry, man. I got to ask you to put your mask up when you're inside. Yeah, this dude, like, one, one time this guy goes, whatever, Pritzker, and walked right past me. I don't know if you're familiar, Governor Pritzker, J.B. Pritzker no, was like the that? face of, well, Lori Lightfoot was the face of a lot of the COVID stuff, but J.B. Pritzker is the governor and he was like the one kind of making announcements of like mask mandates and making the call for all of Illinois of how we were going to do shit, basically. He was very divisive at the time. That said, this dude walked right past me. He's like, whatever, Prisker, and kept going. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. What the fuck? Like, are you, what's your problem? And that really started the pushback, man. Every week, it was multiple occasions of just some customer with, I'm back to customer. They're not guests anymore. They're customers (laughs) at this point. Yeah. Just complaining and arguing and moaning and bitching and stiffing us and just being so, it was probably equal part of like crazy COVID fatigue for people, but also the area, Mm -hmm. very rich river North area. Like that's, you know, lots of money there, just lots of entitlement, whatever. (laughs) I don't miss that neighborhood, but it was just like every day, like pushback, pushback, pushback. And then on top of that, you got like kitchen staff, other bartend, everyone who had their own opinions on it, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. four people who were like, masks are here all day long, or the people who were like, this sucks, dude, fuck it, I hate this, fuck it. You're like, dude, <laughs> go away, like, what do you want? Like, this is what we have to do right now. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. it was just so yeah. crazy. And it just, yeah, it felt like, it really felt trivial. I think it was the thing for me, like the, my main point where my mind started really changing on all this stuff was this was 2020 height of COVID. And then the, like George Floyd happens. Yeah. We'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And the, uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And, yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. now I'm working in river North at this fucking mm-hmm. restaurant wearing a, a suit and tie, basically serving. Yeah assholes they're $13 cocktails and there's like young people marching outside our door dude we had to close for like two days because windows got smashed when they were down there one day like going through it and I'm just like how am so you know I'm a service industry person we were in it and I'm like I know I'm a service industry person I know this isn't a job that's like there to save the world I get it but I'm like I can't in good conscience be in here doing this when that's happening in the world right outside my door i'm like oh my god this is nuts so yeah i had to find a way to redirect those efforts and that was like my brief foray into trying to like loosely organize a restaurant worker space so Uh like at the same time i was becoming more politically minded a little bit more radicalized to some stuff like a little Uh bit more like seeing this stuff on TV mixed with like all the COVID. And like, I had a lot of friends reach out to me who didn't know how to do government benefits. They didn't feel prepared how to help themselves. And you know, HR is all but useless with that bullshit. Like everyone was like, yeah, if you have an HR, yeah. I mean, most HR, yeah, dude, I work in mostly like, like restaurants that are owned by the chef and stuff like that. So there's no HR. The HR is handled by some person either offsite 100%. or just the general manager and they're that's 100%. not their fucking job you know so yeah yeah and, uh, of course so that just all these things really started opening my eyes at once and i kind of got a little fiery and i was like look some group texts going i'd be like you know you guys like 
this is kind of fucked up, dude. Like we're not making enough money to deal with this kind of shit. And <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I kind of got some yeah. people on board and like, you know, I had some other things with like health code shit and I became kind of a person going to some of the higher ups at that company being like, Hey, I want to talk to you guys about some shit. I've been talking to a few other people and we feel kind of like this and this and this yeah. getting a little like right on about some shit. And yeah. they were prepared for that. Truthfully, they, I, like I got some gnarly corporate emails that were so deflective. It almost made me feel yeah. like maybe I shouldn't be complaining about this. Maybe I am okay. I'm like, oh yeah, like these gaslighting. Are, you're just like, everything's dude, fine, right? Yeah. These are professionals <laughs> yeah. at that making me yeah. feel like, oh, I'm asking for too much. Sorry. Uh, uh, like how fucked up is yeah. that? Right. Like yeah, no yeah. one should ever be made to feel that way. So that shit just kind of fizzled for me slowly I just was miserable there. I was always in a bad mood. Every day I'd show up and I'd just be stomping around, just like really yeah. unhappy. And uh did they man, did you see I, any pushback from that? Like did you ever get like talking to or like a f- any fired or something like that? Because my friend Alexandria did the same thing at a local kind of coffee uh-huh. shop chain here. And she kind of got forced out because they were like, hey, you're asking too many questions. You're asking for too much shit. Yeah, yeah. I never got like properly forced yeah. out as such i felt like they kind of knew where i was coming from and sort of knew how to okay. like deal with me by giving me a lot mm-hmm. of like non-answers type of shit never anything that was like retaliation or anything weird like that, oh, no, i would that's say good. yeah um, yeah right like i mean also i've been with the company for a while i was like i was in a position also where i was able to like feel like i could communicate this stuff that wasn't like an aggro way I never felt like there was, I opened a door for them to be like, yo, you need to chill a little bit, dude. You know what I mean? Okay. Like that kind of shit. Yeah. This was also at a time when like everyone was getting called out online. Like there was an Instagram account literally called the 86 list. That was like, just Oh yeah. Putting, we had that here. Yeah. 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 You yeah. remember it was like every yeah. restaurant came under fire across the yeah. board and it was a volatile time. Like a lot of places were like yeah. hurting from terrible things they had done in the past. Now like yeah. they had to answer for that. And I remember like places were like, closing temporarily, like losing business. Yeah. Like it was a powerful thing. And so I think they were privy to that. There was actually like a, a very large 86 list post about the restaurant group I was with at the time. And it was yeah, very yeah. controversial when it came out. So I think they had the mind of being like, let's like proceed cautiously here. I don't think anyone ever thought I was going to be like, Hey, look at what these guys are doing over here. But yeah, I think they kind of understood it enough to be like, all right, we'll try and, you know, appease this guy enough. And it was just like, anytime anything felt like it was gelling or becoming cohesive and I totally understand it, but like anyone on board with like, yeah, let's speak up would kind of be like, uh, I actually, I don't know, man, it's not that bad. Like the money's okay. You know, I get it, dude. If you have like a family at home or you got to pay your bills or whatever, like, yeah. I totally understand not wanting to revolt. I do. I understand how scary <laughs> that would yeah. be for someone, right? Especially so during was, that time. Yeah. Oh, dude, 100%. Unsecure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like a time where it was like, you're either going to go for this fully or got to just fall in line and do your thing. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of attempts, I was like, fuck, dude, like this isn't going to happen here. Things felt like slowly crawling back to like normal and people were just kind of getting used to it. Yeah. So I was like, dude, I got to figure something out. So for about a month, I was like job hunting everything from like, where could I work? Everything from like, should I work at a florist? Should I work at a, what, like, what's the most menial low key job I could find that would like <laughs> yeah. help me here. And that brings me to now, dude, uh, Mike swing fucking hit me up one day and he was like, yo, I'm yeah. moving to California. I've been in the dispensary. 
industry, like the weed industry now for a minute. And he goes, I know you've been sober, but I know you love smoking weed, which is true. <laughs> weed, smoking weed helped me give up cigarettes and alcohol at the same exact time. It was like that yeah. Renaissance day. I stopped both of those and smoking weed just helped me through that. Like it really quashed, helped me quash both of those addictions. So he was like, come by the dispensary sometime. Just check it out. You just see what's up with it. So I came in and I visited him and I was like, damn, this is cool. Like the place I work at now is yeah. a little more like modern. It's more like an Apple store. It's not as like, I don't know how many dispensaries you've been, but a lot of them can be kind of like doctor's office or kind of, I've well, only been yeah. to like one. In Texas, it's pretty. Uh, I was going to say in Texas, like, I know yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. a lot of them can feel like you're going to a doctor's office. They're very strict, lots of security. But here it's like a yeah. lot more like low key in that regard. So I came in and I was like, man, this is pretty cool, actually. Like, I'm, this, is, this is all right. And he reached out again and he was like, thanks for coming by, dude. He's like, honestly, I'm moving to California to pursue something else in this industry. And they told me if I know anyone to like, let them know, I think you'd be good here. He's like, I think you nice. could really do well in this industry. Yeah. And it was just perfect time. It was like just what I needed at that time. And I did my little interview low key here. Didn't take any time off of work for it. Classic move. Didn't tell anyone at the restaurant that I had <laughs> fully secured a job here. And then yeah. there was, I just picked a day and I was like, pulled my manager outside. I was like, Hey, I got to talk, man. Like I'm dipping, I'm done. Like, this is my two week notice. I got to go. And it was, she was like, yeah. okay. I think it was like, she yeah. knew the day was coming. Cause I had yeah, been kind of becoming, it. well, I was yeah. becoming kind of a pain in the ass for everyone at that point. I was just like, <laughs> like miserable to be around. And she was like, cool. I understand, you know, whatever wrapped yeah. up my two weeks there and then started at the dispensary. And now I'm like a year and a half into that. Okay. Yeah. The, so you're still pretty industry, new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but that's yeah, great. So like I work Monday to Friday now, nine to five, which is insane. I have proper weekends, which I I'm can't still imagine. It, yeah. I'm yeah. still adjusting to it, honestly. By like Sunday, I'm kind of like, what the <laughs> fuck? What am I doing? It's great. You're wrong. I love it. It's just I've never I'm yeah. in, in that industry since I was you know 16. I've never had like a proper weekend off yeah. regularly. Doing you know? nine to fiver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I basically I come in here now and I do a mix of like I'll put some new product out on the shelf. I'll make sure like our vault of inventory is always like organized and we know where. I basically keep track of every product we have in here. Like I should, I need yeah. to know where everything's moving and how it's moving mixed with just some other like odds and ends here and there. I do like a lot of our displays, you know, when we put out like a new pack of joints, I'll make like a little sign for it that goes, um, but yeah, yeah, that's it. I started off here just like as a bud, like a dispensary agent or a bud tender, you know, you'd be on the floor and people would come in and they're like, Oh, I'm yeah. like, not a big yeah. smoker. Like, yeah. I want some gummies, yeah. you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, which once again, dude, Starbucks era. I mean, every era, you know, you collect yeah. like your it's skills still service over time. Industry, for yeah, sure. yeah, it feels that way, right? It's like retail technically, but it definitely feels service industry still. Almost everyone I work with has been in service industry in some capacity. Yeah. There's some fellow, I definitely have some fellow trauma sufferers here too, like as well. <laughs> like, and we'll yeah. talk about that all the time and just be like, man, can you believe like what we used to do? Like just yeah. crazy, but it's awesome, dude. It's like, it's such a young industry. It feels like there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, weed in Illinois is still so weird right now, like in flux with what's okay and what's yeah. not like it's legal, but there's like medical and recreational limits on how much you can have. And just like, yeah, kind of some arbitrary shit, but we're all, everyone here, myself included is like, we're waiting for the day, hopefully soon when it's like federally legalized in all yeah. 50 States. And then the industry is just going to like, 
explode. Right. And I think there's yeah, a feeling sure. now that if you're on the ground level of it, like kind of now, like get your foot in the door now, if you, you know, yeah. down the road, it'll be a little bit more opportunity than maybe the restaurant or bar industry could provide a person like in that regard. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. For sure. It's been, but it's been great. Like I've been able to, like I said, use so many things from my history in the service industry here that it's like, dude, some customer coming in here, like concerned about what vape pen they just got. Like, dude, in my sleep, yeah. I can help that person yeah. now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. people come in here still kind of in awe of it. It's so very new for a lot of people to be buying yeah. like this. And so it's, you know, the power you kind of have as like a bartender, for example, you know, people come to you and they're like, mm-hmm. this is the person making my drinks for me tonight. Yeah. It's like kind of the same mentality. It's like, this is the, the guy who's going to hopefully lead me to some weed or whatever that's going to like yeah. do yeah. positive for me. So people yeah. come in and are nine times out of 10 cool here. Like it's just, yeah. it's different, awesome. but the same in, a, in good ways, I would say for sure. Yeah. Can you ever see yourself going back to coffee with all the knowledge and shit? Open your own coffee shop or you're, uh, you're pretty much, you're out. Fully. Shit, man, definitely not open up my own shop. I can't <laughs> imagine just every, at every turn, I will say at every turn of my career, like anytime I've seen like the opening of something, I'm just like, man, I can't imagine what it's like to deal with that dude. Yeah. Especially in Chicago, there just seems to be at every oh, turn yeah. a roadblock or a reason why something has to get pushed or delayed. And I'm just like, I can't imagine having the capacity for that kind of shit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But funny, you should say that about the coffee thing. This is very, feels very serendipitous. But when I came in for my interview at the dispensary that I'm at, the first thing I saw was in the front behind the front desk check-in. I'll send you some pictures because it's kind of hard to imagine this, but there's like a full espresso machine up there that I'm like extremely familiar with. So I come in on my interview day and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, is this a coffee shop too type of thing? <laughs> the owner, one of the two owners loves coffee. He's like a coffee. There you guy. go. And he just was one day like, I want like top of the line. And he got like the nicest shit money can buy and just threw it in the shop. Damn. And I'm like, does That's anyone awesome. use this? I was like, does anyone use it? And they're like, <laughs> some of us kind of know how to use it. Everyone's mostly scared of it, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. as part of my like, initial bargaining i was like i've worked in coffee like my entire life dude like i'm happy to be the coffee guy here so like in addition to what i normally do i'm kind of the coffee guy here like i make drinks for everyone owners will come by i'll go you know chill with them and make them coffee and now we're even starting to go further with it and starting to do like roasters we'll do like a pop-up in our space and use the machine to get out like coffee we're going to be doing like a big 420 event you know the throwdowns i was telling you about earlier yeah are you doing a little 420 For 420, it's it's on a Thursday this year. So we have a group who's collaborating on it and we're going to do one here. And it does feel like a weird full circle moment for me where I'm like, I've come to peace a little bit with my I was going to say, it seems like it all fucking like aligns finally. Yeah, it really has. And it's in a way that's nice because I'm not like on the floor, like at six in the morning, making some jerk a cup of coffee. It's a way <laughs> on my terms a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. still like a little bit of that service industry, I guess, like vibe, not vibe again, I'm not serving the public directly, but there's still like yeah, a strand a of that DNA for me there, which yeah. I, I love it, dude. It's, you know, it's like a one small part of my, uh, working past that I still get so much delight in making like a nice little coffee or like pulling a good shot. You know what I mean? Like I'll always have that satisfaction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. It's a good little channel for that to have here. Definitely. Nice man. Well, do you want to shout out the shop at all? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We did it. (laughs) Oh dude. A hundred percent. Yeah. Shout out the shop real quick. Maybe if people in Chicago. A hundred percent. 
Yeah, yeah dude. Uh, so it's called Dispensary 33. Uh, it's called that because 1933 was the year prohibition ended for alcohol in the United States. And mm. uh, this dispensary was the first legal medical marijuana dispensary to open in Chicago. So they called it Dispensary 33 oh, cool. as like an homage to prohibition era ending. Same much yeah. like it has for weed. But yeah, it's dope. I mean, there's uh, we're the only independently owned dispensary in the city. So like we don't have a it's bigger um, cultivation or grow site who's like giving mm-hmm. us their products. We carry just weed that we like and products we like. It's very curated. It's a little more like right. boutique-y. Um, but it's awesome, dude. They've given me so much like trust and freedom to sort of do my thing and like support with everything. It's amazing. And it's just, uh, yeah, the industry itself is so much more calm. You know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) that's what Mike said. He was like being in a dispensary. He was like hugging people. It's such a weird, I mean, like you said, there's, there's so much anger and angst and like, uh, there's a lot of shit going on in the, in the service industry and it's not yeah. that caring and nice and quiet. And so, no, <laughs> yeah. dude. And it's like all day long people checking in with you, seeing how you're doing. Like that's really we, nice. Yeah. yeah. Dude, if we have yeah. like a, a weird interaction with like a customer or whatever, they told me this at my interview. They're like, it's cool. Cause you just like step off the floor, go smoke a joint, do what you got to do. And just, <laughs> and it's like, fine, okay. dude, we're all right. smoking here all the time. Like it's accepted because it's like, they don't make it like a thing. So people are generally responsible with it. We all yeah. kind of know yeah. this is like a very nice privilege. If we're cool about it, we can all be like a little high it, yeah. all the time. <laughs> Just as long <laughs> as we're not going overboard and like bucking yeah. up at work, everyone's cool about it. So yeah, man, I don't know. A huge shout to Dispensary 33 only for like feeling like, again, at another point in my life, like other people have, I feel like they like saved me when I needed it, you know, from all that other nice. shit in the past. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's cool. It's also the kind of the first time I've hit a point in my career where I'm now kind of like, I'm cool chilling with this for a minute. Like, I don't feel the nice. need or the urgency to be like, shit, where's my next role? What's my next move up going to be? I'm like, damn, I've hit a place. I'm a little That's older great. now too, but I'm like in a place where I'm, and I also, I mean, nine to five, it's hard to beat, but <laughs> I'm yeah, like, sure. damn, for the first time, I don't have this like itch to be like, okay, where's my next little, you know, what am I going to plot yeah. next? So That's great. Oh uh, yeah, man. I can't complain at all. I feel like I had something else to add, but I feel like that's pretty much it. <laughs> nice, man. Dude, well, the, it was that, yeah. <laughs> the period on the, on the, yeah, well, nice, I, I will say, oh. I don't know if anyone else has said this to you about their career trajectory, thing like that. It is crazy to go through all oh, of that. For sure. sure. Everyone says it every time I re up or I've had to like redo my resume. It's like a micro version. <laughs> Like, you look at it, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And you remember some crazy job you did, like in between dude. a job or something like that. And you're like, that was a fucking weird moment. Oh, yeah. Dude. Yeah. Little like yeah. consulting gigs here and there. I've done a handful of things of like yeah. just helping people start up like menu yeah. stuff. That's a whole nother conversation probably. But yeah. Yeah. That's why I love doing this. You hear like people talk about it and they start to remember yeah. weird shit that happened. Yeah. It's uh, great, man. All right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on talking. Uh, and, uh, thank you so much for hitting me up. Honestly, it's so, again, I'm sure everyone says this too, but it's, it is very fun to go through and like have little memories and moments of thinking about this shit. So I appreciate you doing it. Thanks man. Oh dude. One other thing I got to add just because I feel like this is also a nice little thing. I totally forgot. So I mentioned I went to school for writing back in the day when I was in high Uh school, I was going for journalism since starting here first time out of the service industry, I've started writing again. So I review records for maximum rock and roll. It's like this website. They've, it's a, it's a, oh, cool. a zine that's been around for a long time. It was started in the eighties mm-hmm. and it was print for a long time and it's all digital now. But while I was just having this chill dispensary life now, they like did yeah. this post about they need reviewers. And I was like, 
That's awesome. Like, it's I love fun. writing, yeah. and I've been doing it for months now. So that's I'll send you some of my uh, some of my work yeah, because dude. honestly, okay. I just review records that I like now. So most of my reviews yeah. is just music that I'm listening dude. to. Also, I'll just send that your way. So yeah, hell yeah, yeah man. Weed and record right, reviews now for me. <laughs> but I got you for sure. Sounds like a great life, dude. Yeah. I honestly, I can't complain. I'm very grateful for yeah. uh, all of the muck that I just told you about for getting me here. So <laughs> I yeah, can't man. complain. Okay, man. All right, I appreciate it again, Eric. Thanks, thank you. Uh, yeah. Talk to you later, man. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. See you later.